All right, we'll keep our fingers crossed and hopefully nothing terrible will happen. And I usually, uh, as usual, had my pre-show congestion. I was like coughing like a maniac <laughs> right before the call. <laughs> Haven't coughed a single time all day. One minute before the call. <laughs> God, it's fucking stupid. Psychosomatic, absolutely, but still causing phlegm. Are you, uh, okay. You can, how are you? You doing good? Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, um, I've got, uh, I've been clearing my throat a lot the past 30 minutes as well, but other than throat issues, um, yeah, pretty good. Today's been kind of like a lazy Sunday. Um, not really much going on. I went to Home Depot earlier and bought a few things and, um, is that part of your, is that part of your banter tonight? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I was actually thinking about just keeping this whole section in the show, to be honest with you, like literally from the record section on. Yeah. Well, we can give it a shot. We're going to stick the music in just after this. Like, we'll give a pause, then roll. Uh, yeah, I could just do the music in front and then just turn it on and uh, and it could just be us talking. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I hear some podcasts do this as well. And like a lot of them like talk for like a minute and then they just like stop. The music kicks in and then they like actually start the show. That seems to work pretty well. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, we could do that. Um, hopefully that wouldn't be too jarring to people if they were... Um, I don't know. This is going to be like a bout of creativity I'll have to have with the show, deciding if I think people should listen to us talk about stupid bullshit like this or if we should, uh, I don't know, do the music and introduce and whatever. Well, why don't we uh, just get rolling and we'll see what kind of feedback we get. We'll count up uh, how many hate mails and then we <laughs> shall decide afterwards. <laughs> the, the zero emails we're going to get. <laughs> All right, man, you ready to roll? Uh, yeah, let's do All it. All right, and then we're going to put the music here. Welcome to episode 52 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on October 8th, 2017. For some reason, that date seemed really alien to me. I read that, and I just, my brain didn't process that. I was like, O-C-T-Oct, what? Is that a month? What's going on? And then and then it, it kicked back in. I'm fine. October. I have been through an October before. Uh, you wouldn't tell it by the way I'm pronouncing it tonight, but my name, uh, that aside, is Brad Galloway. I'm the editor at GameCritics.com, and, oh man, fucking this up all over tonight. 50% of this here show, still 50%, despite all these errors in the opening. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. How are you living, Corey? Uh, pretty good, Brad. Um, uh, I don't really have, like... <clears throat> I feel like I should prepare some kind of follow-up, like a real, like, oh, hey, Brad, I'm great. Like, let me say a couple, like, funny jabs, but I never think about this stuff in advance. So I'll just say, hello, I'm good. Uh, how are you? I think hello works. I mean, you know, how are you? Hello, I'm fine. That's, you know, that's a pretty normal everyday routine. <laughs> uh, we'll just roll with that for now. I mean, if you come up with something better, go for it. But I think, I think we have fit the bill so far. Um, as regular listeners will know, we are a little bit irregular tonight, starting a new thing with the opening, and boy, I am stumbling all over this aspect of the show, but 
We are going to get the show rolling with our traditional few minutes of unnecessary banter that's not necessarily game-related, as we always do. And just a reminder for folks who don't want to hear our random hijinks, rants, and recommendations, Corey puts timestamps in the show notes so you can jump ahead and skip the bullshit. But why would you want to? <laughs> Corey, what do you got this week, sir? Uh, well, I... I don't really think I have a ton of like super interesting banter, but I did go see Blade Runner 2049 on Thursday night. Oh, wait, okay. So before you talk about this, before you talk about this, number one, we got we to gotta set the context for this thing. <laughs> so number one, and don't answer these right away. Let me run through them first, then you answer them after that. So like okay, number okay. one, are you a Blade Runner fan? Number two, I'm going to, well, okay, wrong order. Number one, have you seen the first Blade Runner? <laughs> number two, if you if you have, were you a fan? Number three, what were your expectations going into this movie? Number four, what did you think of it? And is there going to be spoilers in your discussion? Yes or no? I will leave. Oh, do I have to answer the spoiler question last if I have to answer that? Answer it first, I guess. Yeah, just (laughs) whatever. We're just loosey-goosey tonight. Whatever happens, happens. Spoilers, yes or no? No? No no spoilers. I don't want to be that guy, so I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, If it had been out for maybe like a month or two, then I would consider like deep diving a little bit, but it's too early for that. Um, Okay, first question, have I seen the original Blade Runner? Uh, yes, I have. Um, the question, the follow-up question that always comes after that, which you did not ask, but everyone asks is, well, which version did you I was, see? I, I didn't think of that until just now, and I'm like, I should have asked that. So which version, <laughs> which versions have you seen? What is your take on that? And to be perfectly honest with you, I saw Blade Runner when it came out, I, you know, and then they kept doing the new versions. I don't even know which one is the good one anymore. So what, what's your take on that? I think, uh, so they have the theatrical cut, which is supposed to be the bad one. And that's the first one I saw, which I saw probably like, maybe like four years ago, maybe five years ago. Um, now is this, the, they, is that the one with what's his name narrating or is that not with the narration? It is with the narration. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's supposed to be the bad one. And then there's a director's cut. And I don't think I've seen the director's cut. I don't know what's different about the directors to the theatrical. But I have seen the final cut, which is like, uh, I think, the last one that came out, which is supposed to be like the good one, quote unquote. And uh, I've, I saw the theatrical first. I saw the final cut probably like two years later, maybe. Um, and I actually saw the final cut in a theater. Like I went to go see it. Um, I saw it uh, at a friend's house the first time. And then when I saw the final cut, I went to an actual movie theater and saw it. Um, I, uh, I am one of those guys who does not really think Blade Runner is all that great. Um, I think like, I recognize its importance on science fiction as a whole on world building on, you know, sort of like being a cornerstone for like stories about AI and stories about robots and stories about humanity and stuff like that. But honestly, um, I think that the original Blade Runner is kind of overrated. It is a really, really slow-moving, um, often uninteresting investigative story. And it ha- it just has a lot of really slow-moving segments. And it has a lot of very awkward stuff in it. Like, there's kind of like a kind of like a really like rapey sex scene at one point uh between harrison ford and one of like the robots the main robot rachel in the movie or replicant if you will because that's what they're called and like i mean i'm sure when it came out it didn't seem that creepy but now that like in like the 20 years that have passed or 30 years i guess at this point plus like i mean there's been a lot more awareness about 
you know, like rape culture and stuff like that. And like watching that, the way that I grew up in, like in society now, it just is kind of a gross like scene. Um, so I, I, I don't really think it's all that great. I mean, I feel like it's kind of the edgy thing right now that Blade Runner 2049 is coming out to like, to, to be like, oh, well, I didn't like the original. Like that seems like it's very like, kind of like the dumb edgy thing to do. And I don't want to be like falling into that category, but I do think it's kind of overrated. And I did have that opinion at the time when I saw it. So it's not like this is some new like epiphany that I'm trying to push because I think I'm like cool and want to go against the grain. Um, do you have uh, input before I move on to expectations? Um, I will tell you where I am coming from. I have not seen the new Blade Runner yet, so I don't know anything about that. But, um, you know, I've seen the the original Blade Runner. I think I saw the theatrical cut several times when I was much younger. What, what, in fact, what year did it come out? Do you remember? I want to say 82. Okay, so I think I saw it, like, as soon as it hit, hit HBO, which was probably, like, in 83 or something like that. Uh, and I remembered watching it at that time. I would have been, uh, I don't know, like eight or something like that. <laughs> Probably pretty, pretty young to watch a movie like that. But my parents, you know, didn't, didn't really discriminate, uh, when it came to that sort of thing. Uh, we can discuss that at another time. Um, so I watched it then I, you know, I remembered like kind of like liking it, I guess, just because it was an adult movie and you know, the flying cop car was awesome and, there was like, you know, weird steamy lights and stuff. And, you know, I knew Harrison Ford from his other films. And so, you know, I kind of just gave him a little bit of uh, cachet just for him being Han Solo and Indiana Jones. Um, but I didn't re really remember like a lot of it. And I watched it again a couple years later when I was older. And I just was like, like, I've seen it like probably like five times. And I honestly can't tell you much about it because it just never really <laughs> sticks with me. Like, some of the imagery is kind of weird. Like, that guy, like, the wind-up guy or whatever. There's, like, the weird guy. There's the guy that does the origami little animals. Um, a lot of cigarette smoke. I remember that. Um, <laughs> I just, it just doesn't stick with me. And, you know, I know a lot of people, like you said, you know, really respect it for its place in the genre and stuff. And that's cool. And I don't, I don't not like it. I just don't remember much about it. And I was actually thinking of watching it again just to kind of refresh my memory and see how it would land with me now that I'm so much older uh, but then you get that whole problem of like, oh, which version do you watch? And I'm like, dude, I don't even know. I don't even know. It's crazy. So um, I haven't watched it again. I was going to watch it with the wife and just see see what happens. But I don't I have not seen it for probably 15 or 20 years. And I just I just really don't remember much about it. So uh, coming. That's where I'm coming from. But uh, you seem like you've seen it a lot more than I have and probably more recently. What did you expect from the new one or what did you think of the new one or you know i don't know what, what's the deal what's the deal Corey? well my expectations going into the new one were they were high and not necessarily because of it being a blade runner sequel but because of sort of like the the creators behind it because the guy who's directing it he's a french director named uh, denis villeneuve he uh, directed uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, which is Sicario, a movie that stars Emily Blunt and Josh Brolin and uh, Benicio Del Toro, where Emily Blunt basically uh, goes from being this like cartel hunting FBI uh, sort of like tactical agent to moving into a much bigger sort of like genre of, uh, of task force hunting where she, she gets kind of thrust into this like dangerous world where she goes like across the border to Mexico 
to kidnap this drug lord and bring him back to the States with this task force, this very like male dominant, like hyper masculine task force. And it reminds me a lot of uh, Silence of the Lambs because it's like this determined woman who's kind of thrown into this like hyper masculine world and she's sort of like navigating it and kind of stumbling over herself, but trying to remain like resolute the whole time. And I think Sicario is absolutely a fantastic movie. And uh, he did another movie uh, called Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal. And this is a pretty not super well-known movie, but it's uh, based on a book and it features Jake Gyllenhaal. I think he's living in like Canada or something. And he finds a uh, basically a, a doppelganger of himself in town who's like a cooler, like he, he's like a history teacher or something. And his doppelganger is this like motorcycle riding, like kind of like mysterious guy. And so he starts to try to track his doppelganger and it's a very surreal movie and he finds out that like his doppelganger is kind of like living a very similar life with a different woman and he like meets the doppelganger's girlfriend and there's all this like weird spider imagery in it and it's like it's a really fucking weird movie but it's also an absolutely fantastic movie so i'm a big fan of the director and uh roger deakins is uh, the cinematographer on blade runner and he uh i mean he's probably without a doubt the best cinematographer the, the best living cinematographer right now i mean he did um he, he uh, worked uh, on sicario also he did uh the 007 movie oh god damn it i can't think of the name of it now um skyfall he did skyfall which was a, a beautiful movie i actually don't think it's that great of a james bond movie but it's undoubtedly a beautiful movie um but he's done a bunch of films they're all absolutely gorgeous and I mean, Harrison Ford's back. Ryan Gosling is in it. And Ryan Gosling is one of my favorite actors. And um, and so I was definitely super interested in seeing it just because of like the people behind it, but not necessarily for like the Blade Runner lore or, um, you know, like continuation of the stories or wherever they decide to take it. Um, and, but I came out of it uh, pretty, uh, pretty impressed. I mean, it's undoubtedly an excellent movie. It's also two hours and 45 minutes long. So oh my it is God, a, are you kidding? Yeah, it is a long-ass movie, and it is about as slowly paced as the first one. So if you're someone who has a major problem with the first one being kind of slow-paced, I mean, Blade Runner 2049 is not going to be—it's not like a big action epic. Like, it's a very—most of the movie is Ryan Gosling. He plays an LAPD uh, detective who is a—he's uh, a Blade Runner, which means he is hired to retire, quote-unquote, or kill uh, replicants, which are the, the powerful slave labor robots that are in the world. And he's also uh, a replicant himself, so— he was built to uh, hunt well, other this, robots. This seems spoilery. Is this spoilery? Uh, no, this is stuff you learn in like the first twenty minutes of the movie. So, um, but uh, but I mean, that's basically what it is. He's trying to figure out like he goes from a very usual case of going to hunt a replicant and retire him to figuring out that there's a lot more to the case than he realized, and he's trying to investigate it and. Um, you know, it leads him to Harrison Ford eventually, and I'm not going to say anything else, but it's, it's ex it's an excellent movie, but it's about 20 minutes too long in my opinion. And it meanders a little bit too much in my opinion, but I would still give it a, a hearty recommendation. I mean, it's, it's the best anyone could have hoped for, for a, a sequel to Blade Runner. And I don't think... I think if anybody else had directed this, it would have been like 10 times worse. I feel like it was in the perfect hands to kind of push the story forward. And even if you haven't seen the first one, I still think it's accessible as a film. Um, 
But uh, so, I mean, I liked it. I, I didn't come out of the theater thinking it was in like my top five of all time or like my top 10 of all time, but I think it's definitely excellent. I think it's worth seeing. It's absolutely gorgeous. The sound design is incredible. Uh, Ryan Gosling's amazing in it. Uh, Robin Wright is in it. And she is like pretty much the best thing about any movie that she's in. And she plays like Ryan Gosling's LAPD captain and she's like phenomenal in it. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I liked it. I don't think it's like... I mean, popular opinion on Twitter seems to think it's like, oh, I came out of this theater and it's already my top three of all time. And like, it definitely didn't land there for me, but I think it's still an excellent movie. Well, that is, those are some words. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a response because I don't really have much of an opinion on Blade Runner to begin with. And I'm probably not going to see this. um, I, I, I don't I don't even, it's not anything that I'm like burning up to see. Uh, maybe that makes me a bad sci-fi fan or whatever. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I, I don't know. I just like, yeah, I'm sure it's fine. I don't really want to participate in like all of the discussion around it right now. Cause it feels pretty hipstery eh, for me at the moment. So I'm going to wait till it cools off. I will rewatch the first one. Uh, but man, like hearing that it's almost three hours and it's really slow paced. Like I'm trying to imagine how I would get through that. And I just don't even know. <laughs> So, uh, whatever. I mean, cool. If you liked it, I mean, sounds like you liked it. Yes. Recommend. Yeah, totally. I liked it. I would recommend it. I would just go in knowing that it's almost three hours long and it's not like, it's not like a a typical Hollywood action blockbuster. Like it's sort of like, you know how like they Americanized Ghost in the Shell and turned it into like this, like exactly what you would think it would be like some like stupid, like white wish Hollywood, like dumb action movie. Blade Runner 2049 is, like, the exact opposite of that. It's, like, everything that, like, I don't know, like, true, like, filmmaking artistry. Like, it sounds really, like, pretentious for me to say that. But it's, like, not... It doesn't have any concessions for, like, a normal Hollywood action movie, it seems like. It seems like it was, you know, a story that the writers and the director and the producers really wanted to tell, not, like, a cash grab for money, I think. Right. So let me let's let's detour here for just like one second. So let's talk about movies in general. Uh, I don't know about you, dude, but like, you know how like I I mentioned this at the top of the show, how like right before I get on the podcast, I just automatically get like congested. I start coughing. I'm fine the entire day. (laughs) Literally fine. Right. So that happens. Same kind of a thing happens when I go to a movie like I will like I will get up. I will drink no water. I will have no (laughs) coffee. I will not, I will be parched. Like my lips will be cracking because my body is so dehydrated. I will get into the theater and like within 20 minutes, I got to fucking take a piss. Like it happens every time. <laughs> and so like, I, I, I kind of hate going to movies because I just can't get through them without having to go to the bathroom. You know, like it becomes like this, like anxiety for me where I'm like, you know, and I, you can get up, you can get up and go to the bathroom. I've done that. I get up in the middle of film, go, but then you miss some of the movie and I feel like I'm not getting my money's worth or it's always like. I don't want to leave because it's going to be the good part as soon as I get up and go, right? <laughs> so, like, ah, it's really tough. It's really tough. And it's gotten so bad. Like, especially when um, these long movies come out. Like, hearing you say that this movie's almost three hours, I'm like, oh, my God. I would never get through that. <laughs> like, I'm almost tempted to go down and just, like, get some, like, Depends or something and just, like, strap them on oh before I God. go because, like, I would never get through the movie. Like, is that a problem for you at all or not? Nah, use power through? That is not a problem for me, but I feel like... Um, is this, is this like you like warning me about what I have to look forward to whenever I'm like 40? Is that what I, the road I'm heading down? I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe I'm well on the way to prostate problems. I mean, I don't think that I am, (laughs) but I mean, it's possible, but I think, I think it's more about just anxiety. Like, I think just knowing that like, 
Like, I can go all day and not take a piss, right? But as soon as I know I'm in a movie, and then all of a sudden, like, it kind of changes the parameters of being there. Like, you know, like, if I was out of the mall or driving around, no big fucking deal. But, like, as soon as I get to, like, a place where I'm, like, I am conscious that I cannot leave. You know, you can, but, like, I'm not going to leave for, like, the next three hours. Like, all of a sudden, it's, like, every biological process in my body is, like, brought front and center to my attention. And I'm just, like... I can feel my blood pumping and I feel my bladder filling and I just feel like, oh, I got to just, uh. oh, man, I think it's just, I think it's just straight up an anxiety thing. So I, I would not say that I'm an anxious person in general, but like something about going to a movie really just ugh, gets me, man. Not good. Anyway, I'm glad you can get through it, though. I would never make it through three hours. That's nuts. So enough about uh, yeah. my bladder. What, what else did you have on your, uh, what else did you have for banter? Uh, I don't really think I have anything else exciting. Um, I mean, I really can't think of anything thrilling to say other than Blade Runner talk. So I probably am done with banter. Right on, right on. Well, we talked about movie. We talked about urine. I think that's a pretty good banter. Uh, <laughs> we'll hit mine real quick, and then we'll get to the main event. Uh, not a lot for me this week. Just a shout-out to the Pacific Rim Uprising trailer. Uh, that debuted a couple of days ago. It stars... What's the name of that guy that was in Star Wars? Uh, the guy that played John Finn. Boyega. Yes, yes, I like that guy. He was also in Attack the Block, right? Yes. Is that the same guy? Yeah, that was a good movie. Uh, yeah, so I'm really excited that he's in that. I think he's a great choice. Um, they showed the pictures of the new robots, the new Jaegers. They look pretty badass. They showed some monsters. It just looks like a really cool thing. Uh, we got some some quick shots of robot on robot violence, which I'm sure we all knew was going to happen before too long. Uh, you know, I'm all about big robots. I'm all about big robots fighting. I'm all about big monsters. Uh, any any of those things. I like all those things. So I'm really stoked for Pacific Rim Uprising. I'm going to be in line day one. Uh, if there's a midnight showing, I will go to the midnight showing. Uh, I will just, whatever. The whole family's going to go. We're big in a Pacific Rim. I really like it a lot. So nothing, nothing really to say other than it looked awesome. And I'm really excited about the cast. And I think big robots are rad. And yeah, I don't know. That's it. You were not a fan of Pacific Rim or you haven't seen it, Corey? Uh, I haven't seen it. I'm convinced that it's probably maybe not my kind of movie, but uh, I will say that I'm pretty sure that the Pacific Rim 2 trailer made its debut because I, I saw Blade Runner 2049 in IMAX at 7 p.m. on Thursday night, and that preview was on that IMAX showing a Blade Runner 2049 so I feel like I don't like rub it in but I feel like I saw that trailer before like anybody else did because I think they showed it at the at the movie before they put it like on the internet and stuff so I feel like kind of cool about that yeah you probably you probably did see it and I think that you are slightly cooler because of that I definitely (laughs) give you cool points uh, so it hasn't been out. Go ahead and check it out on YouTube's if you want to see that new trailer or go into it and be surprised. You can take my word for it that it looks awesome. I'm sure it'll be awesome. Uh, and that's all I have to say about that. Um, just one other really quick kind of anecdote. Um, are you familiar with the uh, like the uh, the concept of impermanence, Corey? Like in, in like kind of like the Buddhist sense? Uh, I don't know. Maybe not. Why don't you start talking through and I'll, uh, I'll come to terms with it. So I, at one point um, in my life, I was spending a lot of time with people who were Buddhist. And so we went to this festival one time, this Buddhist festival, and they had some, you know, monks who were there and they were, they were doing, you know, a lot of it was in Korean, so I didn't really catch most of it. But like, there were some things that were in English and some things that you could just figure out for yourself. 
And a, a big part of this particular ceremony was like, you know, talking about impermanence where, you know, the, the idea that nothing is forever, nothing is permanent. You have to be able to let things go because if you if you think that something is going to be around forever, it's, you know, it's not going to happen. It's going to be difficult for you. You have to just really kind of come to grips with like the true nature of life. And, you know, part of that is just that nothing stays the same forever. And so these monks uh, came out and they did a couple different sculptures, really, really intricate sculptures. If you Google these or whatever, I mean, this is a thing that happens all over the world many, many times. Um, it's a very common, as far as I know, a very common uh, ceremony for, for Buddhists. But so they came out and did these really cool sculptures. One was like a, like a, I want to say it was a butter sculpture where they had like different colors and it was like really intricate. Like if you looked at it, you wouldn't have thought it was butter. Like you would just think like, wow, this is amazing. And another one was like sand. Um, and the sand one was really cool. It was like this really intricate design on the ground. And these guys were working for like, I don't know, like two or three days to put it all together. And it looked just gorgeous. Right. But you know, part of that, the, the reason they choose those materials is because they don't last. Like I think the butter one, I think it eventually gets too warm and it melts or something like that. And the sand one, of course, just blows away. Like the first gust of wind or, they take a broom or something and just like sweep it away. So that kind of stuck with me um, for a long time. It still is this still is something I think about a lot, especially as I get older. And um, it's kind of difficult because on the one hand, I, I feel like I'm a realist. I feel like I, I keep things, you know, very centered around life. I don't try to have false expectations or false hopes. Like I try to just keep it real. And at the other, on the other hand, I, you know, certain things, I, I mean, I'm human. I do really want some things to like be permanent or to never go away or to stay the same. Right. So last week, you and I, uh, before the show, we're talking about Trader Joe's um, instant coffee. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we talked about this. We did not get this in recording last week, um, but we kind of referenced it. Uh, I know you remember me talking about this, right? Oh, I was actually just telling Patrick about this earlier today, about your your coffee woes with Trader Joe's. Oh, my, oh hey, that rhymed right on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Trader Joe's had this coffee, um, instant coffee, where it came prepackaged in a little tube. Uh, it had coffee, creamer, and sugar, and they had like the exact right amount that I like, and it was perfect. The coffee was not citrusy, which I think is, I hate citrusy coffee. It tastes disgusting. Anybody that likes citrus coffee is fucking weird. Um, so it had a really, just a really good balance and it's really hard to find instant coffee that doesn't taste disgusting. And I really appreciated the convenience and it was all prepackaged in these little individual servings and it was really cool. So I got really like uh, hooked on those a while ago and then they disappeared and I got kind of freaked out because I'd kind of, you know, gotten really used to having those around and I was like, I'll buy these forever, dude, because these are really good and I, I don't mind at all. I will support Trader Joe's with this thing for as long as it takes, but they were gone and it sounds really stupid and weird to say that, but like I totally had this come to Jesus moment where I'm like, oh my God, that coffee is gone. And I, I talked to the, uh, the guy working at Trader Joe's and he's like, oh yeah, I think this discontinued. And then I even emailed Trader Joe's headquarters and, you know, got <laughs> picked up the phone and called Joe himself. And I'm like, dude, Tej, what's up, bro? And they're like, they email back and they're like, oh yeah, sorry, the thing's discontinued. You know, oh, I hope you like our new products and wah, wah, wah. And I was like, you motherfuckers, like, how dare you put out this product that I love, that I use every day and you take it away. And I just was like, you know, they totally like put my whole life into perspective of how it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to die someday. Nothing is forever. Like, what's going on? And, you know, nothing can be the same. And how, you know, in the, in the cosmic sense, everything is eventually going to be dust one day. And I was like, oh, this is really balls. This is balls. It's terrible. I don't like to think about this. And it was just this really weird unexpected reminder of the true nature of life 
So I just, you know, me and my wife had a, a, like a couple sad days about it. We talked about it, you know, <laughs> grieving process. First it was denial. Then it was, you know, what is it? Anger. Then it's grieving. Then it's bargaining, whatever. And then, and then it's just like acceptance. So I had come to a place of acceptance. I'm like, you know what? That's okay. There was life before Trader Joe's instant coffee. There will be life afterwards. I will find a new coffee. We will figure out a new place to go. We'll, we'll come up with a solution, right? So we go back to Trader Joe's the other day because we need to get some, uh, I don't know, frozen tacos or some shit. And what the fuck do you think is on the shelf? <laughs> that motherfucking coffee came back. And I'm like, oh, my God, look, it's back. And I thought it was imagining it, right? And then my wife's like, oh, my God, it is. And I ran over. And we bought, like, nine boxes of that shit, dude. I'm like, just oh get God. it. Just get it all. Get it all. Buy it all. And so now we had this little reprieve, right? So, like, all of a sudden it's like, you know, this was, like, my wish. My most fervent wish came true. And now we have this stuff back in the house. And I'm like, now I'm constantly thinking, is today worthy of opening one of these tubes? Because I'm, I'm acting like this is the last of the, of the supply, right? Like, imagine if you were in, like, a, like a post-apocalyptic bunker, and this was, like, all the coffee you had in, like, the post-apocalypse. Like, you would be, like, saving it until you, like, really, really needed a cup of coffee really badly, right? So, like, every day I'm like, is today the day? No, I'm strong today. I can make it. I don't need it today, but I'm going to save it for tomorrow. <laughs> and then you have, you know, I'll have, like, one, and I'll just, like, savor it, and then kind of make it last as long as possible. So, anyway, that was my long... My long and, and way to involve story of uh, me liking Trader Joe's instant coffee. So anyway, it's back. I've got like nine boxes of it. Hopefully there will be more. I will I will buy as much as there is, and we'll just see what happens from there. Uh, okay, so I have two things to say about this. The first Absolutely. thing is, <clears throat> okay, so you know, you know, in your your hardest of hearts that. The next time you go back to Trader Joe's, it's not going to be there. Totally, and, totally. Uh, because the ones that you bought, it's going to be like that box that was in the back of the back room that they found under a dusty shelf that had been sitting there for like yeah. six years, and did you just happen? They just happened to find it and restock it, and uh, and and you bought them, and now that's it for the rest of your life. That's the rest of the coffee that you have. That is literally the first thing that I said to Gina. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> this is the overstock they found in the back room. I said that exact fucking thing. That literally same thing. <laughs> And uh, the other thing is um, I can actually relate to this quite a bit um, because, but with me, for me, it's with beer and specifically it's with seasonal beer because almost every brewery does like, you know, they have, they have like their handful of year round beers you can get anytime, but then they'll have their like their summer IPA and then they'll have their winter, like their stouts and porters that are like their darker beers and, you know, stuff like that. Or like their, their pumpkin beer that comes out from like August to November and then they discontinue and... Whenever we moved to New Orleans in March, I brought two, my favorite, uh, not my favorite beer ever, but my favorite year-round release uh, is called Dragon's Milk, and it's from a brewery called New Holland. So it's New Holland Dragon's Milk. It's my favorite year-round beer. And I brought two bottles of Dragon's Milk with me from... Uh, Nebraska to Louisiana because New Holland does not distribute in Louisiana. So I know I cannot get it here unless I have like find a friend that can like ship it to me or something. Um, and a couple weekends ago, one of Patrick's friends from, uh, from Missouri uh, flew down. He, he was meeting some of his old work friends that used to work. He used to work in like close to Atlanta and they were coming down here for just kind of like a weekend, like vacation thing. So he flew down here to to go out with them, and he stayed with us because he knows he's always welcome to stay here. And he brought a suitcase and pretty much only packed like maybe like a couple shirts and like a pair of pants. 
and filled the rest of his suitcase with beer for us that we can't get in Louisiana. Oh, what a, what a guy. What a guy. Yeah, I mean, it, it was so nice. And I had forgotten that Patrick had asked him to do that because uh, there's a brewery in Kansas City called Boulevard. And uh, Boulevard has a pretty wide distribution but they don't distribute anywhere to the south. Um, and so, like, they have some beers that we really like. So he brought us, like, he brought me a four-pack of Dragon's Milk, and he brought, like, uh, like two four-packs of uh, Boulevard Tank 7, which is a beer that we both really like. And then he brought us this, like, a four-pack of this, like, whiskey, whiskey barrel stout from Tank 7. So I'm kind of in that situation now where, like, I have all of this really good beer that I know I'm not going to be able to get again anytime soon. So it's kind of, it's like you with the coffee. Like I, like I'll be like watching TV or playing video games at night and I'll be like, okay, do I want to open a dragon's milk? I only have three left. Like it's tonight the night. Am I going to, am I going to drink one tonight? Or it'll be like, I, I was like saving one of the two that I had until I got like a job or something like celebratory to drink. And, uh, and then after Andrew brought the the f- other four. I've already drank like two of them because I just can't stop myself from drinking my favorite beer. And so now I have like two left and I'm trying to figure out like, do like, do I want to like, when am I going to drink them? Can I, can I hold back? Can I do Am I going to drink them today? Do I want to wait? And it's uh yeah, I'd say a stressful situation. It really is, man. It really, really is. Knowing that you've got that limited supply and that you're in charge of it and you're looking at it and, like, knowing that, like, once it's gone, it's gone. Oh, man, that is some stressful (laughs) shit, bro. That is some stressful (laughs) shit. So, anyway. All right. Let's let's uh, let's move on from our post-apocalyptic nightmare. <laughs> and uh, you know, I actually uh, just one more one more quick thing. I got to say, I say this all the time. You're gonna think I'm nuts, but like one of the things I would miss the most in the post-apocalypse, Q-tips. I would totally miss Q-tips, dude. Q-tips. Yeah, man. Like you know, sometimes ear gets itchy, a little waxy, something. You get a good Q-tip in there. It's better than sex sometimes, dude. And I'm like, man, dude, a good really? Q-tip you is just amazing. You use Q-tips that much? Not like a lot, but like I, they're they're an essential part of my life. I mean, I you know we're good friends, working together for many years. I support the Q-tip Corporation. <laughs> <laughs> I would huh. miss Q-tips a lot, dude. Huh. I would like I would be that dude who's like in some burned out like dune buggy driving through like a zombie infested territory, like you know rigging up some kind of like I don't know grappling hook to get into like this long abandoned drugstore and I I would be going in there not for like uh you know opioids or beer but like to look for like an, a a sealed box of Q-tips. That's what I'd be doing. <laughs> well, I guess on the plus side is I mean Q-tips generally come in boxes of what like 200 Q-tips or something, so hopefully the like a single box would last you for a little while. Yeah, and then I'd have to space them out too. Like every single day I'd be like, "My ears itchy today or am I okay?" Wait. Am I fine? No. Can I use it? I'll use half. I'll just use one. I'll save the other one for the next day. <laughs> and then you're going to be like, you're, you're going to get to a point where you have like five Q-tips left and you're going to like use one and then like clean it off and use that tip again the next day. <laughs> oh God, what a nightmare. I had never, that, that had never occurred to me. And now that you've said that, that's going to haunt me. That sounds, that's the scariest thing I could think of. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, folks, I'm sure you're sick of all our banter. We shall now move on to the main event, the game's chat. I will say up front, I was going to talk about one other game, and I had it all slotted in to discuss, and then I realized, wait a minute, that's still under embargo. I was about to get myself in a lot of trouble. So we had to do a last-minute script rearrange, but I think we will be okay. Uh, Corey, um, 
now that we are on uh, version 2, 2.3 of our script, would you mind starting off the game chat tonight with Slender the Arrival? I would love to. So I played, um, I don't even know how to preface the story. So I bought Slender the Arrival on a PlayStation 4 sale because it's one of those like ultra indie games that goes on sale like seems like it's on sale like every three weeks or something. And it's one of those games that gets really cheap. I'm talking like $2 or something. So I bought it like a few months ago, kind of filed it away, um, you know, for for a day when I felt like being scared or something like that. And uh, and I guess that night was last night because I just played it last night. Um, it's developed by Blue Isle Studios and Parsec Productions. Uh, it's also published by Blue Isle. And I believe Midnight City publishes the uh, console versions, I think. Um, and let, it's available. Let me, let me ask you a question real quick. Let's back this up a little bit. Okay, because okay, okay. I, okay, so I have to admit, I am not hip to Slenderman. I've heard him, heard of the name a bajillion times. And it seems like it's kind of become like, not like an urban legend, but it seems to have like taken on a life of its own. Now, I don't know the origins of this. Was this like some kind of a myth, urban myth that was made into a game? Or did this entirely originate from a game and is it this game that you're talking about or like what is what is the history of Slenderman because I see him all the time everywhere but I don't know like what the actual deal is you know what I mean I would be kind of concerned if you saw him all the time everywhere because that means he's probably he's all around he's behind me no (laughs) um I actually I don't really know the backstory of Slenderman but my original um I guess, introduction to him was that there was a video game called Slender that was, I believe was PC only that came out, gosh, it was a while ago, probably like, maybe like 2011, 12, uh, maybe like 10. I don't know. I probably should have looked up the history of it a little bit more, but it was like a, it was a game you could just download. I don't think it was on Steam or anything. It was just like a free download, or at least I downloaded it for free. I don't think I pirated it. Not that I remember. I'm pretty sure. You, you don't think. You don't think. Maybe. I mean, I don't think so. I feel like I, I pirate games so so like few so like few and far between that i like distinctly remember the games that i don't pay for that i download and i'm pretty sure this was just like a thing that you could just download and play um and it also wasn't very big but that was my introduction to slender was probably like 2011 ish and basically that pc game all it was was first person game where you had a flashlight and you were in the woods and the objective, you were kind of in this closed, like, city park area that wasn't very big. It was, you know, a medium-sized. And you had to collect eight pages that were around the environment, and they were in the same spots every time you played. So there was, like, one, like, on a truck, like, over in the corner, and there was one, like, on, like, a porta potty or something. And there's one, like, by a, there was, like, a little indoor, like, school, kind of like a shower area, like a campground shower area. And there was, like, a one in there. And the pages had, like, you know, kind of, like, scribbles and, like, like really crude drawings of the Slender Man on it. And the Slender Man is, he is, like, a white human-looking entity who wears, like, a suit, I guess. And... He, I'm pretty sure he's supposed to like exist in the woods as some kind of legend. And if he sees you, he starts growing these gross like black tentacle things out of his back. And I mean, I'm guessing he like grabs you and kills you or something. I don't really know. I don't know anything about the legend. I'm, I'm, I feel like this game had, or the legend had to have existed before the game. Um, not that I'm really am positive about that, but I feel like it had to come from somewhere. But I don't really know. Um, 
But I played that on PC and it was pretty scary, um, actually really scary because kind of like the hook to it was with each page you collected, he hunted you more furiously and the best way, sort of the best strategy to play it was to um, like pretty much like run as fast as you could and keep facing forward down the trails of the park because if you looked around too much, he would basically kind of like be like beside you by a tree or behind you. And if you like moved slow or took too much time looking around or being really careful, he would basically sneak up on you and you would die. And it, it, so it was pretty scary. I mean, it wasn't like a, you know, like a really slow paced horror. It was like you had to move your ass or he's going to get you. And that is sort of how they translated it into Slender the Arrival. And as far as I can tell, Slender the Arrival is sort of like a them trying to make that into a full game. And if I'm not mistaken, the, the dude who made the original Slender game actually worked on this. So it's not like he made a game and someone just stole his idea and made like some kind of like robust thing. But it's, uh, it's available on everything it's on pc it's on xbox 360 xbox one ps3 ps4 it's even on wii u it's on pc and it's on uh, osx for uh, macintosh players and uh, it came out first in 2013 and then in 2015 it came to like the playstation 4 and the xbox one and kind of like the newer consoles um and i uh, I mean, I played this for about an hour last night and ended up bouncing off of it, although it did scare me in a couple of spots. But it basically starts as you are... It's very much the same setup as the original game. Like, you're in a you're first person, you're, you get out of your car, kind of stranded in the woods. You're supposed to take this path down the woods to, like, some woman's house that you're visiting. I don't know. The game doesn't really have, like, voiceovers or, like, narratives or anything. So I'm assuming that she's just, like, a friend or maybe, like, a girlfriend or something. And you get to the house, and she's gone, and there's, like, the Slender Man scribbles all over the walls. And you get to the woods, and it kind of starts the sequence where, like, you get to the woods, and then the first area, the first, like, legitimate gameplay area is very similar to the, to the first game, where it's, like, you have to collect the eight pages in the area, and then get out of the area. And once you collect all the eight pages, you're free to kind of leave, and he doesn't really hunt you anymore. So remind uh, me again what the pages are about. Like, what is what are the pages of? I don't really know. They're just kind of there. Um, I don't know if they have some significance to, like, the original urban legend or something. But there's just eight of them, and you have to find them. And the more you find, the faster he hunts you. Um, so it kind of makes it scary. But I don't really know, like, what what the significance of them is, I guess. Um, and I was playing it, and I got, like, one or two pages in, and... I was walking by kind of like a school building and like I looked to the left and he was like in the school building and I got really scared. And then I like looked to the right and he was like in front of me and I was really scared and his like tentacle thing started coming out. And I actually got so scared that I didn't even really, I didn't like move in the game. I just like stood there and stared at him cause I wanted to see what was going to happen. And I was like kind of too frightened to move. And of course he like grabs you and you die and you start over. And this was the point where I started realizing that this game might not be for me because you the, the checkpoints are bad that's basically the subject line to the to the email that i'm going to go through the the if i were writing an email it would say slender the arrival review subject line the checkpoints are bad and it, it you can collect up to the eight pages but if you collect like say if you collect six or seven and then he gets you you checkpoint all the way back to the beginning and you have to collect all the other ones again and I got to a point where I was in this woods section where I was running around for like several minutes trying to find the last page. And 
you don't have like a map that you can look at and there's not like a radar or anything. And I was actually just getting kind of like bored and frustrated because like the novelty of him hunting me had worn off. And I was just like, man, where's this last fucking page? Like, I want to get out of here. And I knew I had to press on because if I didn't, he would get me and I would die and I'd have to start all over again. So I got to, I got the eight pages and then I got to move on to the next area. And there's like a checkpoint between them. And the next area is kind of like a mining facility kind of thing and instead of doing eight pages there's like six generators that you have to turn on in order to power this elevator to can get i just up can i just stop you for a second this game yeah. sounds like it fucking sucks dude it is not great but like, it took me about an hour to figure that out collecting eight fucking pages and oh, there's six gen- like six generators who the fuck's got six <laughs> generators dude you need like one maybe two <laughs> if you're hyper paranoid and you want to back up like six this game sounds stupid. Like, is it stupid? I mean, it is kind of stupid. It, it starts out scary and promising. And then once you figure out, I'm going to, I mean, I didn't play it past the the mining area because I, I literally got five of the six generators started and I died. And then I started over from the beginning of that area and had to do the other five generators. And every area is like a maze. And, and I, I, so I'm going to assume, I don't know if this is correct assumption, that basically th- there's nine levels of this game or nine areas. And I'm just going to like kind of assume that that's what every area is. It's like, all right, you're in this new spooky location. Here's X amount of things that you have to like get through this maze like area and turn on while avoiding the Slenderman and or other things. And then once you activate them, you get to move on to the next area. But if you die at any point between A and Z, you have to go all the way back to A and do it all over again. And I would have been more up for playing it if it would, like, checkpoint between, like, every page you pick up or checkpoint on, like, every generator you turn on or whatever. But as soon as I died, whenever I was five generators deep out of six generators, I was like, man, like, fuck this game. Like... I, I like I like the idea and I get that it's kind of old like it debuted in 2013 so it's not like it's like you know the newest hottest shit that's out right now but I uh yeah I mean I bounced off of it pretty hard at that point and I know that there's like a million other scary games out there that are like better than this and more interesting and I mean to its credit it's this is like a very indie game like you're not it's very apparent from the beginning that you're not playing some like triple a like resident evil 7 i mean it kind of has that that feeling when you turn it on that maybe like three people existed on this development team so it's not like some big thing um but it just wasn't um i didn't like the checkpoint system it it is scary but it's like it's the checkpoint system like boredom overrules the scariness and frustration once you like die and also the console controls are just kind of bad like i played it on playstation 4 and it's one of those games where like I turned the the thumbstick sensitivity as low as I could go. And it's like one of those games where you like, there, there's like a weird dead zone in the middle of the thumbstick where you can like turn it a little bit in every direction and the character doesn't turn at all. And then once you get past that dead zone, they're like swinging wildly around and it's like hard to like be accurate. And I feel like it's, it's in the sense that it was very much developed for PC and like not mapped well to a console control, uh, to a controller and... Like, I, I need a little bit more sensitivity than that, than, you know, having, like, a weird dead zone and then, like, having the character flailing everywhere. And I, so it's just, like, multiple things getting on my nerves about the game, and I just stopped playing it. That game sounds awful, dude. I mean, I'm not big in scary games to begin with, but, like, the idea of, like, 
hey, I collected seven doodads out of eight, and then I died, and I got to collect them all again. That sounds like a complete <laughs> fucking waste of time. And just running, I mean, was this, I mean, it must have been created to, to like, get YouTube reactions or something. Like, was somebody filming themselves screaming while playing this game? Or It sounds like there's no gameplay. It sounds awful. It sounds like a really awful piece of shit. I've never played it, and your description of it is not selling it to me at all. I don't know why anybody cares about this. Or how it's a how is this remake like who uh, what what is the appeal? It must be a YouTube thing, because this sounds like fucking garbage, dude. I'm just whatever, dude. No, uh, no. I mean, I I don't think I would go as far to call it like 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 totally god awful, but there's definitely like a number of scary games that are better than this. I mean, Resident Evil Seven is you know the newest hottest example that's better than this. I mean, PT is uh, you know leagues above this. Soma is better than this. Uh, Amnesia 2 is better than this because I liked Amnesia 2 better than the first one. But even Amnesia 1 is better than this. So it's like, it, it does seem like one of those games that was made for like that brief window in time where the way to sell a game was to get like YouTube reactions and like streamers to like sh- scream and shout at the game or like, oh, like have your mom play this and record her and like totally, see her reaction. Totally. And, like, yeah. and thank goodness that time has kind of passed. Um but uh yeah i mean it's just not it's not great and now i kind of understand why it's on sale on the playstation 4 like every month for a couple bucks because it's not it's not good and it's not worth it i would not even if this game were like free on the playstation 4 i would not recommend it oh man that's when you know it's a bad game is when it's free and you still wouldn't recommend it I mean, I would just find the original Slender game on PC. Like, if you're that hard up to play something like this, find the original free one on PC, download that, and play it. Because it's better, it's shorter, it doesn't have, like, a story scope. It's very much like you're in the forest, you're getting the pages, and you're done. Like, there's not, it's not that rinse and repeat nine times. So, I mean, that's, that's, I guess, how I feel about it. All right, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm going to pass on the whole thing, but I thank you very much for bringing this to the (laughs) So Video Games table. Uh, but no, thank you. Uh, any final thoughts before we move on? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. I've, I've talked enough about this game. I don't want to give it any more airtime. Well, it's interesting. Um, just really quick side note. My son talks about the Slender Man all the time because he makes an appearance in like all these other games. It's like people like him as a character for some reason i don't have any experience with him myself but i mean apparently he has stuck and is becoming part of you know just like uh i don't know the culture or just he's just kind of becoming a touchstone for people of a certain age and so my son talks about him all the time um because he'll be in like a minecraft scenario or he'll be in like a roblox (laughs) scenario or something so i like i hear way more about the slender man than i ever want to hear about and hearing you talk about it i'm like why the fuck did anybody care about this in the first place but okay whatever anyway Moving on, moving on. Uh, my first game of the evening will be Etrian Odyssey 5, which releases October 17th, 2017. It's going to be only on the 3DS, developed by Atlas and also published by Atlas. Um, so Etrian Odyssey, very long-running series with a lot of history. Corey, have you ever played one or do you know anything about it? I don't know anything about these games. Really? Nothing at all? Have you heard, You've heard of it, though, right? I mean, maybe very quickly in passing, but if you... Like, if you ask me right now, like, what is Etrian Odyssey? I'd be like, um, I don't know. A 
like the cover makes it look like a JRPG or something. But I thought that about the game you talked about last week and it ended up being a, a freaking Monopoly Risk game or something. So don't judge a game by its cover, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Holds true in books, holds true in games, apparently. Well, wow, I'm surprised. Um, Etrian Odyssey has been around for a long time. Um, I mean, so, okay, not like, not like since the dark ages, but I mean, it was, it was designed specifically for the 3DS. And so when the 3DS debuted, which was, God, when was that? I don't even know how long ago it was, but I mean, the 3DS is now in it's the end of its life cycle. So it's been a while. Uh, this was a game that was developed to take advantage of the second screen when that was a brand new hot thing. Uh, so, uh, it's a dungeon crawler, old school dungeon crawler, first person, it's one of those games, uh, I mean, it's kind of like old school Dragon Quest or uh, any of those like really old RPGs where you don't see your own character, but you see the enemies on the screen in front of you. And then, like you select whatever, you know, attack, block, magic, whatever. And then you see like a little flash or like a really quick sword swipe, but you don't see any actual combat. Like you just see the characters on the screen in front of you. Um, generally, not a type of presentation that I enjoy at all, but it actually works in this game because these games are really, uh, really well made. So it is a first person dungeon crawler on the top screen of the 3DS. You see what you would see if you were in that, you know, in a maze, like, and the mazes in the game are traditionally, they start off with like the first level of maze is like a forest. And then there's like a watery level. Then there's like, you know, some kind of a cave. Then there's some kind of a techno level. Uh, this, this series kind of clings to a few tropes that it has created for itself. Uh, but on the bottom screen, and this is really the thing that Etrian is most well known for, the bottom screen is a map of where you are, and it starts out blank. So you start the game entering a dungeon, and from square one, there's nothing on the map. You have to draw it in yourself. So you walk around, you know, you can say, oh, I walked forward three steps, and then there was a wall on my right. So like you take your stylus for the 3DS, and then you draw that on the touchscreen down below. So you're drawing your own map as you go. And that was really, like, the big hook to this game originally. I mean, it is a good game in terms of just being a dungeon crawler, for sure. Like, I don't mean to undersell that. But the thing that really made it stand out was I'm drawing my own map. Like, I have a stylus. The second screen is here. This is a new thing. Uh, there's no help from the developers. I have to just, like, draw the doors, draw the hallways, put little notes in the map that I want to. And so, like, for people who like drawing maps... And I know this is weird. Like, I'm... <laughs> the first time I heard about this, it sounded like a drag. When you tell people about it and you have to draw your own map, it sounds like a real drag. But it's actually really fun and really satisfying. There's something just really wonderful uh, and fulfilling about taking a moment to... You walk a couple steps in the game, you just pause, you look at your map, and you're like, okay, well, I walked a couple steps, and you draw a little line in there, you make sure that looks good. You can color in the floor if you want to, or put little details on it. Not a whole lot of details, <laughs> but, you know, some. Something very magical about just kind of um, going back and forth between taking a couple steps and drawing on the map. Taking a couple steps, drawing on the map. It sounds like it would be very counterintuitive, like it would break your flow, but there's something very like relaxing and very meditative about doing that, which is really good because the game is hard as balls. Like it's <laughs> really hard. It's, it's, it's also well known for its crushing difficulty. Um, so I think that like having that few minutes of cooldown time with the map really helps that game to be a thing that is enjoyable rather than something that's really stressful and awful. Um, so yeah, I've played literally every single entry in the series, every single one, and I finished all of them except for the re-releases. They re-released, I think, Etrian Odyssey 1 and 2 
Um, gave them a brand new storyline, gave them some fresh new graphics, but basically the exact same game. So I didn't finish those ones because I had already finished the originals. Plus, I was kind of just playing them just to make sure they were you know good enough for a quickie review. Um, but I've played all of them, and these games brutally hard, uh, really gr- like incredibly grindy, uh, just just difficult. Like you get party wiped all the time. Making progress is really slow. Uh, it doesn't sound like anything that would be really good, but this is one series that I really respect because the systems that it puts in place of the characters is really what sells it to me, besides the map, which I think is really great. But in, in Atrian, you pick a party of five characters. They usually give you a whole bunch of like, you know, 12 or 15 different classes. And so you pick whatever class you want, whatever you want the character to look like. They give you like six or eight different preset drawings of what your character looks like. And then each particular class has a bunch of different skills. So, you know, you can pick like, for example, like a big heavy knight and you can focus them on either being like an attacker or you can, you know, focus them on being a defender. There's like, you know, magicians and you can, you know, what kind of magic user do you want them to be? There's, you know, all sorts of things. So there's lots of options. And then once you get a party that you like, the trick is to get all those players to work together. So, for example, like uh, one player will will have a magic attack where they will attack after somebody else attacks, which sounds stupid and useless. But then <laughs> once you set up your party the correct way, you'll have like one guy who like attacks. That'll trigger the second guy who attacks after the first guy. That second attack will trigger off like some magic spell from some dude in the back. And then that because he attacked, the first guy attacks again. And so there's like this whole like little cascade of like damage that gets dealt out. And it feels really satisfying to think oh, okay, well, I designed these guys from the ground up. I picked all these powers. I designed how this was supposed to work, and it works, and I'm killing all these really hard dudes because my plan, my little tactics is is humming, and it's very satisfying. So it's really difficult, but it's great when you get a party to work together like that. It's great to draw the map. It's great to just um, to see all the different systems in play. So it's very... it's really hard and I wouldn't recommend it to just anybody but if you're a fan of this kind of thing I think it's really um, it's really good so that's kind of what the series is in general before I talk about Etrian 5 thoughts questions impressions uh gosh um not really I don't think I mean it seems like this is 100% something that I would never touch with a 1,000 foot Nintendo 3DS stylus. So, uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> I like that. That was good. That was good. Um, so, speaking about Etrian Five specifically, and this is in a preview sense because we are still in the pre-release time period. I am free to talk about preview uh, for anything in the first four dungeons. So, um, I will say. If you are a fan of the Etrian series, uh, this is more of the same. It is full-on more of the same. Some of the previous games have taken some risks and have changed things up. This one feels very safe so far. It feels almost like they're going back to basics. Uh, the classes that you get are different than the previous games, but that's that's pretty normal. Each game has generally a new crop of classes, so exploring them is part of the fun. But they, I mean, so far, nothing about it is really different or new other than some very, very minor things that only a series fan would notice. Like, for example, there are some skills which are specific to what kind of race your character has. I mean, I noticed because I've played all the other games, but if you had never played this game before, like, you wouldn't know that that was a thing. Um, 
they've removed a couple little things. There's a couple little quality of life features they've added. Like when you go back into a dungeon, you can pick which floor you want to start on rather than having to go through the entire dungeon and get back to where you left off, which is nice. Um, but overall, I mean, so far it's, it's totally fine and I'm enjoying it. Like I always enjoy one of these, but I'm kind of waiting for like a hook or a twist or some new spin on the formula. And so far I'm not seeing it. I'm not very far in. I mean, I'm only about maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 hours in. And these games traditionally run long. Like I think in previous entries, I mean, you could easily spend 50, 60, 70, maybe a hundred hours on one of these. Uh, no problem, especially like if you did like all the side quests and if you spent a lot of time like leveling up different classes, I mean, you could, you could sink a lot of time into one of these. So I'm not that deep relatively, but so far I'm just like, mm, it's, it seems just really, really safe. Like they're not doing anything new that could totally change. I mean, I could go another two hours in and then find something mind blowing that would really turn the game on its head. But so far I'm not really seeing any indications that's going to happen. So at this particular point, which again, very, very early and in a preview sense, um, it just seems like another really solid Etrian. Um, so far, probably not going to be my favorite in the series. And I, I'm not sure that I would recommend it to anybody who was tired of these games. But if you want another one, this is for sure another one. Um, and it will scratch that itch. But I don't know. I'm really hoping that they have a couple surprises in store. So we shall see. I will... Uh, report on it again at some point, probably not for, I'll give it a couple more episodes because I'm going to have to sink a lot more time into it. And right now I'm kind of only playing it before I go to bed. So only like an hour or two before, uh, before bedtime, which is pretty slow process, but, um, uh, another couple episodes, we'll check back in and we'll see where we land. The, I want to revisit the map drawing thing for a second, because this reminds me of, um, uh, like so there there's very very few games that i've played where i've like physically drawn a map out for myself and i'm not talking about like a mechanic in the game that asks you to draw the map like there are some games the one that's coming to mind i think which is probably the last time i did this was um a narrative adventure game called the vanishing of ethan carter that came out a few years ago and i really liked that game quite a bit and there's one section of the game where you have to do this puzzle that's in sort of like this abandoned house um kind of like a dirty like derelict house and you go in the house and you have to like you have to like rearrange the rooms and it's really hard to explain um you like walk up to the door frame and you can like you can like cycle through different kinds of rooms that are supposed to be in the room in front of you and you have to like line up all the rooms correctly to make the puzzle like complete and the way i'm describing it probably sounds really stupid but uh it's one of those things where, as I was playing it, and it's like the it's like the first puzzle in the game, if I'm uh, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember getting to it, and just thinking like, man, like what the hell? Like I don't I don't want to do this. Like I have to like walk around this whole house, and like how am I supposed to solve these rooms? And I don't know what rooms go anywhere. And then after I like got over the hump of kind of like being slightly frustrated, I was like, okay, well I can just like grab a notebook, I can draw like a blueprint of the house, like a top down look. And then I can remember which rooms are where and kind of line up the right ones where they're supposed to be. And it's one of those things where, like, it, like I just had to, like, get over my own sort of, like, selfish, um, like, frustration about it. And then once I actually took the time to, like, 
walk around the house and draw the house out on a piece of notebook paper and, you know, like draw, cause I think I drew two separate blueprints, like one for the way the house was set up and one for the where, where the rooms like had to be matched. And once I solved the puzzle, I just remember feeling like really good about it and like feeling very satisfied in the, and how like I solved it. And I'm sure that it's a puzzle that like 80% of the population probably would not need to, you know, get a piece of paper and a pen out to do, but that's just the way I like to handle things. Um, in situations like that. And I just remember like getting over that initial hump of frustration took a little bit, but once I actually took the time to draw the map and solve the puzzle and do it correctly, I felt totally like incredibly satisfied with the way I had done it. And the fact that, I mean, it's sort of like if like when you're in kindergarten or maybe like, you know, grade school and whenever you're doing spelling lessons, like a way to remember things is to spell the word repeatedly. Like I remember in, you know, first through sixth grade or whatever, we would do vocab words and you'd have to write each word like five times or 10 times. And that way it teaches you how to spell it. It teaches you to remember it. And that's how I think about games too. Like that, that section of the vanishing of Ethan Carter is permanently sort of etched into my mind just simply because I took out a piece of paper and I physically drew out a section of this environment. So that way um, I could solve the puzzle. And it's uh, I remember just being really satisfying and it seems like that's similarly to how it is in Etrian Odyssey. Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely a corollary there. I mean, you have to do it a lot because you have to draw one map for each floor, so it's not just like for a puzzle. I mean, it's it's like half the game basically. But yeah, the same idea of what you described holds true. Like it's it's really satisfying to go into a floor, you don't know where anything is, where the dangers are or what's going on, and then you just slowly bit by bit, you know, map it out. And then by the time you're done, you're like, "Oh, okay, wow, I went through this whole place." I know where all of the problem areas are. I know where to go, where to avoid. And then you can just like whip through it because you've already got your map. Very, very satisfying. So yeah, for sure. That is a um, definitely kind of kind of touching on the same thing. I mean, in, in fact, I've actually done some pen and paper uh, maps myself way back in the day. Uh, the game that leaps out to me is Shining in the Darkness on the Genesis. Have you ever heard of that or played it? No. What is that? Uh, it is another, uh, similar to Etrian, it's a first-person dungeon crawler. It was the progenitor to all of the Shining Force series, but this was the very first one. And it was really notable at the time because the graphics were really big and, like, well-drawn um, and cartoony. It looked really beautiful compared to what else was on the Genesis at the time. Very, very eye-catching um, for that period. And I just really wanted to play it so badly, so I got it. And, uh, you know, a fairly tough game at that time because I didn't have a whole lot of experience with that genre. But when you got to the final labyrinth, uh, there were a ton of pitfalls that just were, did not show up on the map. And so I got really frustrated because I kept falling into these pitfalls, getting sent back, and the level was really hard, and I had to conserve all my health for the boss. And so I got, like, this giant piece of tracing paper, and I um, would pause the game and uh, bring up my map, and then I would put the tracing paper on my actual TV and, like, trace the map <laughs> because I needed to know where the fuck to go because I could not... <laughs> Could remember where all the pitfalls were there was just way too many of them and they were not marked so that was probably the last time i've actually made a paper map um i wonder if anybody listening has ever had an experience like that uh or done that but it has, it's been a, it's been a while um uh, but i think etrian kind of recaptures that same kind of spirit of me doing it myself to get through and they just kind of provide you the tools right there you actually don't need the paper but same sort of thing so it's cool if if you're a person that has never played the Etrian series, and this sounds um, interesting to you. I mean, any game in the Etrian series is great. They're all really high quality. Uh, I mean, they're very difficult, but they're all really well made. I think they're very fair. 
just top top shelf stuff when it comes to this genre. I would put them consistently at the top of the first person dungeon crawl genre. They're always the best. So even though it sounds like maybe I'm a little bit bored with Etrian Five, I mean, don't be fooled. I mean, it, a, a, a boring Etrian is better than like ninety percent of the dungeon crawlers out there. So <laughs> I mean, I've only played like all of them, so I'm I can kind of sound a little bit bored. But <laughs> if you haven't tried one, definitely try them. They're all really good, and especially. Um, uh, any of the more recent ones, I think Etrian 4 was really my favorite so far, but the remakes were really good, and there's there's several to choose from. So um, don't, please don't assume that because I sound a little tired of the series in how I described Etrian 5 that I don't think it's a good game. It is a really good game. Uh, I just, you know, as a longtime series fan, was kind of hoping for a little bit more, but a well-made game is a well-made game. Uh, anyway, like I said, we'll check back in a couple episodes on that. Um, for now, Corey, you selected for your next choice... Something I had actually never even heard of. And for me, that's pretty rare because I spend a lot of time reading about games. So tell us about Eight Days. Okay, I um, Eight Days is a game that has been out since uh, February. It came out in February 2017. Um, it's out for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Developed by Santa Clara Games and published by Badland Games. And um, this game is very distinctive to me because I keep seeing the cover of it on like the sort of like the cover tile for it on the PlayStation 4 whenever I'm looking through games, because this is another game that I see on sale often. And the cover of it, it's all white, and there's two black silhouettes of people. There's like a silhouette of a guy and a silhouette of a woman. And the woman has this like hot pink hair. And every time I see the cover of the game, I think like, wow, this looks like a cool game. But it's one of those games where like you see the cover and you have no idea what it is. I mean, I think it's pretty evident that both silhouettes are holding guns on the cover. So you know that like it's some kind of like gun shooty game. But I mean, there's like a million different ways to make a gun shooty game. So this is one of those games that like I always see the cover and I'm like, oh, like a silhouette of like a cool chick with hot pink hair and a gun. Like that just seems, that just screams my name. And then every time I go to the game page, I scroll up and you can like look at the screenshots of the videos for the games on the PlayStation 4. And I always start watching the trailer for the game and it looks kind of like a top-down, like sort of Hotline Miami-ish game. And every time I see that, I'm just like, ugh, this does not look like something I would want to play. So I noticed that the game was on sale and by the time the show comes out, it might actually still be on sale. It's on sale for like 250 or three bucks or something. And I thought, okay, well maybe I'll buy it. And I realized that there's actually a demo out for it. So I downloaded the demo. I don't know if the demo has recently come out or if it's always been there and I just wasn't paying attention, but on PlayStation 4, there's a demo for it. So I downloaded the eight days demo. And I can say, after spending about 30 minutes with it, that I would not even pay $2.50 for this game. Oh, we are batting 1000 tonight. Oh, do yeah, tell, do tell. This is not necessarily the game's fault. I want to make that clear. I just don't think, as I predicted, I don't think this is my kind of game. Because it starts out as you, you select which character you want to play as. I can't remember the names, but it's like the dude character or the woman character. And... Um, you're on that the opening uh, title crawl is actually pretty funny. There's like a, a very small wall of text at the beginning that kind of explains like what you're doing. And you're like a mercenary that like operates in this capitalist environment. And I think you're in like a third world area and you're trying to like lift this like national rice embargo. So like people in the West can like upper class people in the West can enjoy their sushi or something. And it really made me laugh whenever I read it. Cause it just seems like such like a stupid, like funny, um, 
you know, idea for a game because there's so many like stories that take themselves so seriously out there about like, oh, like hacking into this corporation to get these like files and stupid bullshit. And this game like knows it's silly. So I, I like that going in. Um, so you're flying in, in your helicopter, your helicopter crashes, you get taken hostage by like enemies. And the, the first play of the game is you waking up in like the sort of like a torture, uh, like hall, sort of like an enemy prison or something. And it basically just kind of turns into like uh, a Hotline Miami-like game where it's like kind of top-down. It's like slightly isometric and it's very, you know, pixel-based graphics, not, you know, fancy-schmancy graphics or anything. You can hold a melee weapon and a gun at the same time. You press a trigger to switch between them. You press the other trigger to shoot or to throw. You can shoot uh, or you can swipe the knife or throw the knife or the machete or whatever's in your hand. And you can re-pick up the weapons after you throw them, which is kind of cool. But it's just one of those games that is like in this ever-growing genre of like Twitch replay, like Twitch reflex, or you're fucking dead in two seconds games. And unless the game has something else going for it, I'm just not here for those kind of games. And this is totally one of them. Like you can take about three hits before you die, and there are areas in the level like there's medics that you can kill that have like a health pack they drop whenever they die and you can like pick up the health pack and it regenerates some of your health. But like, it's just one of those games where you have to be aiming perfectly and shooting perfectly or you'll die pretty quickly and the checkpoints are not super great and you end up restarting a lot. And, or at least if you're me and you're not very good at these kind of games, you end up restarting a lot and, you know, checkpointing a lot. And I made it to about the third or fourth area of the game. And it was one of those, situ or the demo, I guess. And it's one of those situations where, like, I would keep getting to, like, the last, like, two enemies in the level after successfully fighting, like, six or seven off. And then I would die. And then I'd have to, you know, go back to the beginning and kill the first six or seven enemies again. And then I'd get to the last two and I would die. And they weren't even, like, boss characters. They are just, like, there. And I don't think the game has the right that the proper control fluidity to support its sort of twin stick shooter like nature, because at least in like hotline Miami, I mean, hotline Miami is very difficult. Um, but I feel like for the most part, it's pretty fair. Like if you die in hotline Miami, you pretty much know exactly how you died. You can kind of blame yourself a little bit for it. Like it's not, it doesn't it, hotline Miami for the most part is not a very like cheap game uh, to me. And it also has a very proper control fluidity that allows you to control very easily and, you know, generally push your aiming cursor in the right way. And I don't think that eight days has a good or tight enough, like uh, analog stick, control to really help because I kept finding myself like shooting bullets in kind of like slightly the wrong direction or like I would shoot and an enemy would move too quickly and there's no like lock on or anything and I'm just not this just isn't my kind of game and that's pretty much all I have to say I think well this uh is something that I downloaded as well once you told me that there was a demo. So I did download this myself so I could talk about it with you here on the show, which is what I'm about to do. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of agree with what you're saying. I, I, you know, now after you brought it to my attention, I didn't really know anything about it. And I checked it out. Like you said, I, I think the cover screen is pretty eye catchy, like with the chick with the pink hair, the silhouettes. It kind of it did catch my attention and it did seem interesting. But like you said, when you see the screenshots, I thought the art was pretty ugly, actually. Like, I really did not care for, 
the art and art matters a lot to me. I mean, I've said this before on the show. I will keep saying it again. Art in video games really makes a big difference to me. It really can save an experience or it can break an experience. And my first impressions was that this game was ugly, really ugly, <laughs> which was a shame. And, you know, I didn't quite know what kind of a game it was at first. So like in the beginning, I start playing it like a run and gun, which is totally not like what you're supposed to do. It seemed to me like it was more of a stealth game almost where I would like run out and try to shoot guys and I would miss because the aiming is shit, like you said. And then I would get killed and get restarted. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, how am I supposed to play this game? And then once I started sneaking around and like stabbing guys in the back with the knife, I got a lot further. But that's a really boring way to play. And it only takes one second for somebody to see you. And then the whole jig is up and you got to kill all these guys again. Um, it was not fun. I don't like um, losing that much progress and working so hard on the first level just to even get into the game. I mean, for a demo... I would think you'd want to, like, you know, grab more people right away and, and lure them into your game. But it tells you pretty upfront what kind of game it's going to be, which to me was not a great game. Um, I, and I do think that the aiming was something that really put me off a lot. It's got this weird reticle where you aim at something and there is a crosshairs that shows up on the screen, but it's like it's really far away from you. And if you sweep in front of a guy, like, let's say, for example, that the crosshairs on the screen. So you're looking top down. You can see your character. If you point your gun, the crosshairs appears, let's say, like, I don't know, 15 virtual feet in front of your character. So you're looking <laughs> down on it, right? But if a guy is closer than that, the crosshairs does not shorten itself and appear on him. It just stays at the distance that it's at. So it's like you kind of can see the direction you're aiming at, but it's not specific enough. And, I mean, if you're going to have a crosshairs, at least make it useful. I mean, I, I don't know why they wouldn't do that. Were they not capable of programming that? Or did they not just think it was a good idea or what? But I found myself shooting and missing like a lot and they never miss. So that's really um, sucky. <laughs> so I just, you know, I just was like, man, this is too hard, but it's not hard in a good way. It didn't feel fair. It just felt really poorly made and it was really ugly and I did not get as far as you. And I was like, I'm done with this. So. I would not recommend it to anybody. I did not buy it. I'm glad there was a demo because, uh, yeah, that was all I needed to see. But, yeah, I would not, would not under any circumstances recommend this. There's, like, a, a bajillion other games I would recommend before this one that do basically the same thing and just do it better. So, yeah, I don't see anything really to, uh, to talk about here. Yeah, I, and I think it's worth mentioning um, because I don't think either of us said this, but uh, the game actually does support co-op. I think it does split screen. No, well, not split screen, because it's kind of like, I mean, it's like top down, so I don't think you can really do split screen. But it does, I think, couch co-op, and I think it might have online co-op. So, like, maybe there's, like, a slight chance that that might make it a little more fun or a little better. But I, I mean, I didn't try co-op with anybody, so I can't really speak to that. But there's a possibility that the game could be slightly elevated with co-op play. I mean, maybe, but I mean, you could say that about any game. Any game is slightly better when you're playing with a friend. It could be anything, you know? I mean, I just, it's like, like, I don't, I hate to say this all the time, but I find myself saying it all the time. It's like, there are a lot of games out right now. There are, there's like an infinite multiple lifetimes worth of games available right now. And a lot of them are really cheap. And so it's like, if this, if you pick any game, and I'm not talking specifically about eight days, but like in general, if you pick a game that you don't like, it's not very well made. There is no reason on earth to power through it. There is so many options out there, so many other things you can be playing. Um, and I don't, I don't mean to, you know, I know it's hard to make games. I know people are trying to become developers. I know it's not easy, et cetera, et cetera. Like I get all that. And it's, I respect people who, who make a game, but at the same time, the fact is like, if you want to put a game out these days, you've got to be on point and you've got to have like good production values. Your controls got to be tight. You got to have a good idea. 
it, there's just no room in the market or in anybody's life these days for a, like an ugly looking game that doesn't control well, that doesn't have a strong theme to it. Like there's there's just no reason for it to exist right now. So not to be really harsh, but I mean, I can I, I can't imagine recommending this to anybody under any circumstances with so many other options out there. I mean, if this was <laughs> the only one, sure. But like there's so many other things people could be playing right now. I really enjoy how a common theme for this show has been like me being like, yeah, the game's like not that great. And then you're like, this game fucking sucks. And I would never recommend this to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's just true though, man. It's so true. I mean, maybe I'm in a position where I see more games than the average person because I'm, I'm being the editor of a game site. But I mean, even if you like, just look at the sales that go up on PSN if you look at, you know, Gamefly, the, like all the rentals that are available, if you look at Steam where games are like literally like four cents or something like that. I mean, there's just there's so much. There is so much out there. I mean, I just it's it's mind blowing that anybody would spend time with a bad game. There's so many things to choose from. I mean, it's like it's like if you've got steak all around you, why are you eating a dry bread crust? Like it doesn't there's no reason to, you know, like it's just it's weird. So. Anyway, I hate to be harsh, but at the same time, I got to keep it real. And the reality is, there's no one that needs to be playing this game. And that's it. The judge's gavel has been tapped, and we're going to move on to the next game. Okay, so this is a little bit of a weird, weird thing for me. We talked about Warframe from Digital Extremes um, a long time ago. We talked about it in one of our earliest episodes, right? Yeah, because we both played it, and we both kind of bounced off of it thinking like, oh, you know, it's fine, but there's not really anything to like really pull us in. And this is free to play to preface that. So that's where we were at the time. But we had a listener question. Didn't Was it a listener question that you answered where you were talking about this game like a couple shows ago? Um, uh, Possibly. Uh, I don't recall. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But the reason I'm talking about this game now, uh, primarily it's because of uh, CJ and Patty from Twin Humanities. Uh, Have you listened to their podcast or do you know those guys from Twitter? I don't think so. I mean, I definitely don't listen to their podcast. I don't know if I know them on Twitter. They are some really fucking entertaining dudes. Like you should (laughs) listen to an episode of their podcast. It is just it's amazing. They bring such energy and humor and delight to anything that they talk about. Like it's, it's, it's immediately entertaining. They have a really wonderful mechanic uh, dynamic between the two of them and they are just great guys. So CJ and Patty are wonderful. Uh, they were talking about dark souls for years and years. And then they got on the destiny train. I kind of fell off uh, because I don't give a shit about destiny. <laughs> so um I, I kind of stopped listening to their show when they got on the Destiny thing. And then out of the blue, they were like, oh, hey, Warframe. And I'm like, oh, wait, I remember Warframe. And I've always liked the art in Warframe. I don't know if we talked about this last time we talked about it here on the show, but I think the, the, the art style in Warframe is really cool. Like, um, for those who have not tried it yet, it is a third-person action. You play kind of like a science fiction biomechanical ninja that comes in different varieties you can play it alone. <laughs> that was a great description. Well, thank you. I'm just struggling to kind of encapsulate what's going on here. Um, you play it alone, but it also has a very heavy team focus. It's actually very similar in structure to Destiny or to something like The Division, where you have like multiple missions that you can choose. You get together with some friends, run some missions, get some resources, level up, do some better missions, get some better gear. I mean, it's a very familiar gameplay loop. It's not like it you know, reinvents the wheel or anything. But I think 
the real the real hook to it was the art style, which I think is really cool. I've always liked the art style, even though I have actually never really liked this game before. And uh, the characters are very mobile rather than being just really like, you know, your typical first person or typical third person. Uh, they have all sorts of like crazy acrobatics. Like you are very nimble. You can wall run, you can dash, you can jump, you can flip, you can glide. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy stuff you can do. And the game plays really, really fast. It's very speedy. So, you know, I actually meant to go back and listen to what we said about it on the, that first episode, but I didn't get a chance. So, I mean, I don't know what we said about it. I think, like you said, we both thought it was okay. Neither one of us really liked it that much. We never came back to it. And that was kind of it. So after I heard CJ and Patty talking about it, they, I mean, these guys, like these guys are like magical in a way because anything they talk about sounds like the best thing on earth. Like it, it immediately makes you want to go play it, which is, I mean, that's a pretty powerful um, ability to have as a podcaster, right? So like they start talking about it and I'm like, oh my God, Warframe. Like I didn't really like it. Man, these guys are talking about it like it's the shit and it's, it's getting me excited to play it again. And I know I'm just like falling under their spell, but I, you know, I'm probably going to turn it back on. I'm not going to like it. I'll delete it again because I've, I've downloaded and deleted and deleted several times Warframe because I, I keep thinking I'm going to like it. I never like it. But I decided to give it one more try. And by God, this was the time that I finally cracked that particular nut. I think it's a great game, actually, now. I really like it a lot, and I've been playing a lot of it over the last week or so. Um, so I give CJ and Patty full credit, but also I, I got to give a huge um, shout-out to people on Twitter. And talking to people on Twitter is really what made the difference for me because... I'm almost positive that when you and I played it, we probably had a lot of that um, allergy to free-to-play that we usually have. You get that screen, the free-to-play screen that we talk about on the show. <laughs> a lot of questions about what is this resource and what is this thing doing, and they don't explain it very well. Like, that all was still there. Like, it's still it's still there. But because I was talking to those guys uh, from Twin Humanities, also talking to a number of other people on Twitter, you know, shout out to uh, Plus, My Sinclair... And uh, Michael Prane, uh, who actually had a question on our last episode, these guys were all more versed in the game. And because I was able to, like, ask them questions constantly and to have them answer right away without me having to go pour over a wiki or to try to figure things out or, to you know, to figure out what jargon meant or anything, I could just ask these guys over and over and over. And they would, like, immediately answer my question. It got me through that, like, immediate wall of just, like, stuff to figure out that really, I think probably turned me off the last couple times. Once I figured that out and got past it and got to like understanding the game on its own terms and really interacting with it, I really started to like it a lot. I really have been enjoying it quite a bit. And I shared my knowledge with uh, my wife and my son. And we've been playing some three player and I was like, Oh man, you know, I wonder if Corey would want to get back into this. I don't know that if you would or not, because it's not exactly like the division or something. I know we had a good time playing that. It's different than that. But now that I'm, I'm into it, I just really enjoy, number one, I'm able to fully enjoy like the art style. So now I feel good that there's actually a game that I can like, and so I feel better about liking the art. And the game itself, now that I know exactly how to play it, I do like the acrobatic quality of the ninjas. I do like the different um, abilities they have. They all specialize in something, something or another. And... The ability to go through a mission and play something really quickly, get a couple resources and be done. I mean, you can finish a, game, a mission in like two or three minutes or longer if you want to. Um, just the ability to go in, cycle through and just feel like you've done some things and get in and out really quick is really satisfying. So, um, I mean, definitely the developers have been fixing and building on it and patching it and polishing it and tweaking it. And it's in a lot 
different shape now than it was when it debuted four years ago, but it's a really good place right now. I think if you can get past the, the really rough opening, that's really kind of confusing and not really well telegraphed and get into the meat of the game. I think it's really, really cool. So I am really glad that those guys convinced me to give it like my fifth attempt and <laughs> uh, it really stuck this time. I, I really got into it. And I really am enjoying it quite a bit. So I would I would definitely recommend it to people who liked something like The Division or even Destiny. I've seen many people defect from Destiny like over the last couple of weeks, saying they feel fed up with what Bungie's doing and they want something similar, but Bungie's not getting it done. I've seen a lot of people defecting to Warframe and finding a lot of what Bungie's not doing. So that may be a big um, heads up to people who maybe like the concept of Destiny, but maybe are not completely clicking with it. It's free to play. You're not really losing anything by giving it a shot. And I think that there's a lot of the same DNA there. But for me, anyway, I feel like it's a lot more enjoyable, a lot more fun. And I'm seeing more and more people say the same thing. So um, if you're a Destiny person who's bored with Destiny, maybe check it out. If you want some more Division kind of action, this is something similar in the ballpark. Um, but it's it's really good. I'm actually really, really gr- glad that I was able to, uh, to finally click with it. Have you spent any real-life money on the game yet? I have spent some money. I did. I uh, So how this game works in free-to-play is that you don't need to pay money for anything. You can play uh, basically the entire game from start to finish with just playing it. I mean, you may have to grind out a few things, grind for resources or whatever, but you can play it. Like, they don't they don't uh, put a paywall up on anything. You can access all of the, uh, all the systems. It's just, you know, amount of time. But where they really want you to pay is in the customization, and it's all cosmetic. I mean, uh, to be fair, there's a little, there's a little power boost you can give yourself for like, um, a couple, like 50 cents or something like that, but it's not necessary. It's just, it kind of just speeds you up the, um, the leveling track a little bit faster. It's not necessary. You don't need to do it. But the main, the main draw for the money is like all of the accessories you can, these guys have spent, they must've spent so much time crafting all these different skins, different weapons, different heads, different pieces of armor, different capes, different like companion animals you can get, like different ships you can buy. I mean, there's all this tons of stuff in the game and it all looks really cool. And you can, and it, it, it doesn't have a gameplay effect. Like it's strictly cosmetic, but man, you've seen some of the stuff. You're like, oh my God, I want that thing. That looks badass. Like I want this gun. <laughs> I want this different horn for my head. I want this different cape on my back. I want this different robot buddy to come with me. Like, and you don't need it. You totally don't need it. Has no effect. But you just look so fucking awesome. I mean, like, I, <laughs> one of the first things I bought was a pair of insect wings. That is, it stands on your back and it's folded. And then when you jump up, they flip open and you glide with the insect wings. That's fucking badass. I'm like, oh, my God. It looked like fucking amazing. It looked like a bug superhero. This is the shit. This looks so good. They changed that out for, like, this really long, super flowy scarf that looks like uh, something out of Shinobi um, from way back in the day. Uh, I mean, there's like all sorts of different white my sword. I got a cool sword, but then, hey, I can make it like, you know, it burns. It's like a burning sword and it's like constantly on fire or you uh, can change the color of, I mean, like so much can be changed. Like every little detail on your body, on your weapons, on your sword and your guns, on your, I mean, everything can be altered and changed. And if you like to play dress up and I, dude, I love, I love me a game where you can play dress up. Uh, this is way, way off the chain. Like it's really, really good. And it doesn't play any of those weird games that that uh, Bungie's been doing lately where you have like limited use shaders or stuff like that. And, and you know, none of those random drop bullshit. It's like, it's right here. If you want to buy it, 50 cents, this is a dollar, whatever. Don't need it. 
does have no significant gameplay effect. It's just for looks. But man, I put in, eh, I think I put in like 20 bucks worth and I bought like a bunch of stuff. And I was just like, I was really, I was really happy with the way my guy looked, looked awesome. And going out and doing missions just looked like just fantastic. Like jumping around, wall running, gliding, my bug wings pop out. I got a flaming sword coming down, like doing shit. Like it was really, really good times. So um, yeah, I have spent money. I think that their model is really fair. And uh, yeah, it does not feel egregious in in any way so far. Should I download this again so I can play it with you? I mean, if you want to, we could use a fourth, dude. It's You can have a squad of four, and we got three. And we did have a really good time playing Destiny. I don't know that this is exactly the same, but I think it's kind of the same, except for, you know, being ninjas in space. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, get, maybe download it again, and then we can we can pick a time, and then I will walk you through the beginning, and I will share with you the knowledge that all of those very kind and knowledgeable people on Twitter shared with me. Hopefully that will get you over the hump and, you know, you can get a good sense for what the game is without having to wade through all of the confusion. And I don't know, let's do a couple of missions and see what you think. I mean, it's really, really fast, really, really action-y. I think that if you've got a good shotgun, maybe you would click with it and uh, <laughs> maybe there, maybe there's fun times to be had there, perhaps. All right, I will download it again. I'm pretty sure I deleted it off my hard drive, but I will download it again after the show and we can schedule a time to team up let's do that let's do that yeah i mean this like i said like no joke this is like the fifth time i've downloaded this game and i've deleted it every single time beforehand <laughs> but they have finally got it in a really good place and thanks to all those folks who helped me through it it's really really fun i've been having a really good time with it also good time to jump in the developers are about to release a giant update to the game uh in november where they're going to add like a whole open world monster huntery sort of thing with towns and NPCs and giant beasts to hunt and um, flying gizmos that you can ride around in. It's a pretty major, pretty, pretty major update to the game. So I think a lot of people who've been playing Warframe are coming back because this seems like a brand new, really cool, interesting thing for longtime players. And for me, who's only been playing the game seriously for about a week, I'm already excited to see what else is coming. So good time to jump back in. And of course, that stuff will all be free. Everything in the game is free, except for all the cosmetic stuff and a couple little teeny tiny little power-ups that are not necessary. So check it out. If you like Destiny, but you're kind of sick of Destiny, or you want something to play with some friends, or you just really want like the idea of being a badass insect space ninja, this <laughs> game delivers. So check it out. Free to play PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Um, and yeah, if we talk, if we if we get some uh, co-op going, we'll talk about it in the show again, I'm sure. Indeed. We'll we'll do that. All right, Corey. I talked way too long about Warframe. We have one more game and then a question, and then we're going to get out of here. Um, but before we get to that question, Mirror's Edge Catalyst. I was really surprised to see this one pop back up on the script. <laughs> we talked about it once or twice, maybe once before. And have we talked about this before? I think we talked about it briefly, really briefly. Um, but what brought this back to your your console? Why did you get back into this? What's going on? What's the deal? Well, I've been in a space with games lately where I haven't really felt like I've had anything substantial to play for the past like couple weeks. And um, I mean, I, I'm pretty fresh off of Dishonored Death of the Outsider. I've been putting a lot of time into that um, so I can try to write a very thorough review for it. And I played Little Nightmares, but Little Nightmares was only like a few hours long and that was kind of over and done with. And sometimes I get in those moods where 
I'll be sitting around at night and I'll just kind of like want to play something, but it's, it's sort of like a comfort food gaming thing where I'm like, well, what, what's something that I have that's not, that's kind of like low risk that I can just play for a little bit. And, uh, you know, sometimes that would be like Resident Evil Revelations 2, like the raid mode, or um, sometimes I'll always come crawling back to either Deus Ex Human Revolution or Deus Ex Mankind Divided, because I can basically load any save that I have from any story part in the game and just kind of like play through it a little bit, and that'll satisfy me. But last night I was looking through the games on my PlayStation 4, and I saw Mirror's Edge Catalyst, which came out in June of 2016, um, developed by DICE, uh, EA DICE, and published by Electronic Arts. And um, I'm pretty sure I have played this um, since I got my new TV. Um, I got a, I have talked about it before on the show, but I got a 4K TV like in like April or May. And I'm pretty sure that I've played Mirror's Edge just a tiny bit just to kind of see. It doesn't have like HDR or 4K support, but I mean, having a 4K TV will make any game look better. And so last night I was like, you know, I just kind of want to play this for a little bit. Like, I like it. You know, I kind of want to re-experience it on this TV, see what it looks like, you know, kind of dive in a little bit. And and then I thought, oh, it'll give me a chance to talk about it on the show because I might have talked about it on the show a little bit during like Game of the Year stuff last year. But I don't think I talked about it very thoroughly because we didn't start the show until like October of last year and it came out in June. So um, I don't really have a ton of stuff to say about it. But um, I mean, Mirror, the first Mirror's Edge, which came out, I think it came out in 2008, um, is definitely one of my favorite games of all time. And it kind of urged me because I knew what parkour was before I played it, but it kind of urged me to get into... Uh, parkour in real life because um, I've talked about this on the show before too I did parkour for like five years or so and now I photograph parkour all the time I don't really do it as much anymore but I'm still kind of in the scene and also I just thought it was a really refreshing game the visual design of it is totally beautiful it was totally different from anything I had ever seen in a game before and it really left a big impression on me and the character design and the the just like atmosphere of the game and the speed of it and like the versatility of free running in a game I thought was really impressive I mean Mirror's Edge is not a perfect game I'm not going to pretend like the first one is some like 10 out of 10 you know everybody needs to play it. it's so amazing because it definitely has its fair share of problems and everybody was really surprised whenever EA uh, announced that they were going to make Mirror's Edge Catalyst because people thought that you know the first one came out to like like good reviews but not great but not terrible um and it i don't think it sold very well so they announced mirrors edge catalyst people were excited i was excited because i you know i like i said the first game is one of my favorites of all time and um and i remember when mirrors edge catalyst came out i reviewed it for game critics i got a review copy i reviewed it and this is one of those situations where like you know you're you have a review copy like a, a couple days before the game comes out or maybe it was like a week or something so you're playing it in secret you're not seeing what anybody else is saying about it it's under embargo so you're just going in purely with your own impressions and playing it and then you write about it and that's actually i think a really fascinating and really pure way to review a game because you you don't have outside influences talking about the game you're not seeing it in social media you're not seeing impressions and all that stuff it's just you and the game and then you writing about it and I really, really liked Mirror's Edge Catalyst whenever I played it. I thought it, 
mechanically it basically improved upon just about every asset of the original like the the running feels better the climbing feels better you know the free running mechanics feel better um it has like a grappling hook which i mean some people argue slows down the momentum of the game i think it does and it also doesn't in other places and the visual design is intact i mean all the the areas of the game look very similar to the first game. It's very, um, a lot of stuff is white with, you know, very bright, saturated colors. So it stayed uh, super true to the original game. Um, and whenever I reviewed it, I'm pretty sure I gave it like a, like a 7.5 or an 8 or something in there. I mean, it had, like the first one, it has a lot of problems. The story is fucking dumb as hell. The characters um, are not very memorable. Uh, the because it serves as like a reboot of the game which is dumb because i guess we're at a point in time now where you can reboot a game after one entry so you still have faith she's still an asian a female freerunner but she's voiced by a new person her backstory is totally different and it's basically just an all-new story and the story is really stupid it does a lot of um telling versus instead of showing it uh it's just dumb it uses a lot of words like the story tries to do like a to have like a motif about like lower class people and middle class people and then like the upper class people that you know are the the business people that have everything handed to them and they're like billionaires and it's just like kind of out of touch a little bit and not super well written but mechanically it's it's a blast to play i think it's really fun it's really fast i don't have any problems with the combat um a lot of people that wrote reviews and this is something that surprised me when the reviews started coming out is that a lot of people complained about the combat saying that it was unintuitive or that it was too hard or that it was out of place and i actually didn't think the combat was that bad unlike the first one you cannot use guns at all in catalyst so it's all hand-to-hand combat and I didn't have any issues with the combat and most of the time when combat pops up in the game you can actually just run away from it so if you don't like the combat you can basically just avoid it um in most situations in the game um but i just thought it was great and whenever i put it in last night i played a couple missions of it and just kind of got exactly what i wanted i got to sit down and have like a little bit of comfort food gaming and kind of re-experience uh the world and the maneuverability of the characters and I mean, that's definitely what the game, the best thing about the game is how quickly you move and how it keeps you very in tune with what you're doing. Because something that I love about Mirror's Edge and Catalyst is that unlike any other open world game where you're basically either like holding right trigger to drive your car all the way across a town or holding up on the, you know, direction stick to walk or run your character all the way across the town... Um, Mirror's Edge keeps you very in tune with what you're doing. You have to constantly be aware of what's around you and about climbing things and about jumping and you have to roll out. Um, like if you, if you land from a high, um, you know, a high, uh, height, uh, you have to do a parkour roll out of it or else you'll like stumble and you'll get hurt a little bit and you'll lose your momentum. So it, it just keeps you very in tune with the surroundings and, um, it's, it's so much more, Uh, invigorating than just holding the right trigger to drive across the town and that's something that i love about it and no matter how long you play the game it never loses that sort of sense of like complex adventure and like the brisk pace and i just really like it i don't really have a you know like any revelations about it but other than i mean if you liked the first game and you saw i think the second game has like a 75 or something on metacritic and it kind of 
was one of those games that launched and reviews were all over the place. Like some people were like, oh, it's really great. And some people were like, why did they make this? It's garbage. And I think that a lot of the negative reviews really dragged people away from playing this game. And I'm basically here to say like, fuck those guys. Cause this game is really good. And it's really fun. And I feel like a lot of the bad reviews kind of like trash the game for a lot of people. And I like it and I give it two thumbs up. And if you have been thinking about playing this game and have been put off by reviews, I would pick it up. I'm pretty sure it's really cheap now. It's only been out for like a year and a half and I think it's like 20 bucks. So um, I totally, totally recommend this game. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah, I do remember people being fairly cold to this at a release. Um, as for me, I was not the biggest fan of the first Mirror's Edge. I finished it. I thought it did have a lot of problems. Um, but it had a pretty, you know, pretty good cult following. And I did kind of enjoy, like, what it was doing in terms of the parkour. I mean, I thought that part of it was pretty well done. Uh, not my favorite game. I mean, I'm glad I played it once. I, you know, I did the the no-guns run on the first game. So, I, you know, I engaged with the systems as much as I could, and that was fine. Uh, but probably not something I would ever play again and not something I really even wanted more of. So I was probably one of those people who was like, eh, whatever, you know. Um, but I don't, uh, I mean, I, sometimes I see it because I do see it on sale pretty often and I think maybe I should give it a shot. But honestly, like, I'd, if I had liked the first game more, maybe I would, but I didn't really like it that much the first time. So I'm <laughs> probably going to give it a pass again. Not that I have anything against it, just, you know, just not my thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not like, trying to like convince you to buy it and play it right now but um i mean if i guess the same goes if you played the first game and were just like lukewarm or thought it was average i mean the second one's probably not going to do anything to change your mind on that because a lot of the gameplay is pretty similar um but uh yeah i still think it's an excellent game well right on i right on um you're not you're certainly not alone i mean i do know of people who really like it more than the average uh critic did um despite that low low uh you know average of uh reception uh, scores but uh, i think as time has gone on there's definitely a group of people who really dig it so you're not on your own there but uh you gonna finish this and uh power all the way through and play it again uh not i don't think so i just it's one of those games that every like six months or so i just turn on and like run around the city and maybe do like a couple missions and then turn it off i've thought about starting the game completely over because it's open world which um the first one was not open world and uh i think open world is definitely the way this game should be but the cool thing is that even though it's open world whenever you finish the game you can go back and uh select any mission you want to play and it just like checkpoints you right to the beginning of the mission so like even if you finish it you don't have to like start a new game all over you can just kind of cherry pick the missions you want to play which i think is a really neat feature and um so i can basically just stick to that and go in and pick out submissions if I want to play them or just run around the city or do some time trials or just, you know, do whatever I want and not be pressured into like starting all the way over again. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I, uh, I get that sense sometimes of where you just, you maybe don't want to play through something, but just a little bit of something will kind of tide you over. Um, so I can, I can certainly see that. I mean, I don't have a lot of games that fit that bill, but sometimes that's what I like. So if that's what you're getting from it, I can certainly understand. So maybe if I find it for super, super cheap, I'll give it a shot. We'll see. Probably not. <laughs> Probably will never play this, but I'll say that now because we're on the podcast now. Uh, so that brings us to the end of the main section of the show. That is the end of our games chat. We did, however, get a I don't know, question slash comment 
from Jez in the UK, who Jez, I think, has sent us questions before. And thank you for those. Thank you again for these. We love to get questions. Love to interact with our listeners. Love to hear from people. Um, you know, also, also just, just to take a second here, I actually, this week, uh, on Twitter spoke to a number of people who are new listeners of the show who I had never talked to before and who kind of, you know, said, Hey, or we got into some discussions about whatever. Like I saw these new faces popping up on my Twitter timeline. Um, and I thought it was really cool to see those folks. Um, I meant to write down a list of names that I was going to give a shout out to. And of course I did not do that. (laughs) Um, so apologies to everybody who said hi to me and I am not saying hi back right now, but please know that I did recognize that you were new and I really appreciate people taking the time to say that they like the show or that they listened to it or they found some value in it. Um, that feels really good. It feels really good to know that there's people out there listening. So thank you very much. I am really, really quickly scanning my Twitter feed and I can't find the new people. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I suck. I totally suck. I meant to do that. I apologize. Anyway, thank you. And hello to all the people who are new listeners of the show. Anyway, um, getting back to Jez's, Jez's question comment, um, I will read the first part. Uh, says, hi, Jez from the UK. Another couple of questions. Uh, number one, did Corey's cat video make him lots of money? <laughs> Be, uh, for those who don't know, a while ago, not a while ago, but a couple episodes ago, Corey took a cat video of his cat Bowser, which went like crazy viral. He had like agents approaching him and licensing and all this sorts. I think shirts were made. There was plushies. It was just, a, you know, overnight sensation. Uh, I saw the video, Corey, after that show, and I thought that was, uh, yes, very cute cat indeed. Uh, so tell us, Corey, are you now rich and wealthy? Did that video uh, get you in the stratosphere? Are you like, are you the 1% now? <laughs> Uh, no, I actually, um, Patrick had just said something earlier today about checking about the the video. Oh, it's because actually, uh, this morning, because this video went up like a couple, it's probably like a month or two ago. And, um, it's currently sitting at about 32,000 likes and like, uh, about 20,000 retweets on Twitter. And, um, today somebody, cause it still gets retweeted at least once a day, if not several times a day or like liked or favorited on, on Twitter, um, even to this day. And somebody on Twitter earlier today, as a matter of fact, had retweeted it and they had like 9,000 followers. So then like, it kind of like flourished again for like an hour where it was kind of like, um, you know, getting liked and retweeted every few minutes or every few seconds or something. And Patrick had asked me about if I had made, if, uh, you know, the money I had made from the video and to be honest, uh, the, cause I did, I ended up licensing the video through like a viral video firm. And those are the people who kind of like try to sell the videos to like brands or try to like get them on to those stupid, like Facebook ads that you see. And, um, I actually haven't logged into my profile on the site to see if I've made any money. And I'm like 99.999% sure that I haven't made a cent off of this video. Cause I feel like if anybody would have, if I had made any money, they probably would have like emailed me to say something or maybe I would have like seen the money, like auto deposit in my bank account or something. And I haven't seen anything. So unfortunately I have not made any money. Not that I expected to, um, but the possibility is there of, and the possibility will always be there. Cause I don't think the video has like an expiration date on the licensing website, but, um, no, long story short, I have not made any money that I know of from my dumb cat video yet. Well, how do you know they're not just keeping the money? Uh, I mean, 
I don't know. They could be. Um, I mean, we the deal that I signed with them was like a, I think it was like a 70-30 split where 70% of the money would go to me and they would keep 30% of it. And that's sort of like the licensing deal we did. But um, I mean, there is a possibility that they could be keeping all the money because I wouldn't know any better. Um, but I would like to hope that they would pay me if they came to some licensing deal with somebody. But there's really like no way to know, I guess, now is there. Dang. So actually, you're like a millionaire like a couple times over. You just don't know. There's somebody oh, like in geez. Palm Springs living the high life thanks to your cat and you don't know about it. Man, that's terrible. I don't I don't think so. I mean, I would like to think so, but I'm pretty sure that's not that's not what's happening here. Well, uh, I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. We'll have to do an <laughs> audit of some some, you know, uh, licensing agency and we'll find out if there was any profits that were diverted. We'll see. <laughs> Get the attorneys on it right now, right now. Um, oh, so that right. was first question from Jez. Corey, do you want to read the next one? Yes, and this question is slightly lengthier. Uh, this one is, uh, please excuse my ignorance, but should I feel, uh, but should I feel bad about not paying a fee to listen to you guys? It's always very entertaining and lots of fun, but I see your website is very slick, up to date, and has no adverts. I'm gonna assume Jez is talking about GameCritics.com here because I'm not, I'm not positive. Um, there I would, I would no, assume so, yeah. Yeah, because we have a website. Side note, we have a website for the So Video Games podcast, but it's not, I mean, it's like fine, but it's not like it, all, all the content on it is just So Video Games podcast uh, episodes. Like, whereas Game Critics has like our, our, our show is hosted on Game Critics, but Game Critics has like all the bells and whistles with like the reviews, the news stories, the previews, and everything else. So I think he's talking about gamecritics.com, but that's a little bit beside the point. But he says, um, uh, your website is very slick, up-to-date, and has no advertisements. There is no merchandise to buy, and none of that weird scrolling stuff at the bottom, at the bottom saying how such-and-such uh, such or whoever has donated $50, you know, or whatever amount. Uh, you mentioned staff, quote-unquote. So my question is, how do you guys get paid? And further ignorance, how big, quote-unquote, are you guys in America? Are you the go-to website for reviews and have millions of hits? <laughs> okay, so that was a lot of questions, and we will <laughs> we'll do our best to answer all these questions. Um, so the So Video Games podcast is uh, an offshoot of GameCritics.com, and I'm going to answer these questions like with respect to GameCritics.com and you know, kind of taking our, our part of it. Uh, along with that. So are we a giant, big go-to website? No. We are a small website. <laughs> we are pretty niche. I mean, we've been around for, let's see, 18 years, 19 years. So we've been around longer than a lot of other people. I mean, uh, so we, we, we've been on the web. We've had a presence. And we're pretty well known to people who are in certain circles. Uh, but we're not a huge website. Um, we are kind of a passion project that started with our founder and owner, Chi Kong Lu, who at the time wanted to do something kind of like what Siskel and Ebert were doing, kind of like a two perspectives on a game, thumbs up, thumbs down sort of a thing. That's how it got off the ground, and we eventually kind of just changed focus and grew and grew, but we're not really in it for the money. I mean, we, we, we say staff, uh, and by that, we mean people who write for us, who are, you know, part of the team or who are very well known, who work with us often, but no one gets paid. I mean, we are a volunteer um, organization. If you go to our website and you read the about us part, we give you the full info. 
where, you know, everybody that works for the site, you know, myself and Corey included, are just volunteering our personal time. Um, we do receive games uh, from publishers. We do receive, you know, swag sometimes. We do receive um, invitations to places. Sometimes we get paid travel. So there's perks, um, you know, full disclosure, there's perks that come along with that. But there's no actual money that changes hands. And um, I really wish that there was because I would love to make this my full-time gig and I'm sure that other people at the site would like that as well but there's just really no money in games reviewing right now at all even people who are actually getting paid are not making very much money so I have a day job uh, Corey, you used to have a day job you're looking for a day job everybody else at the site has a day job um, and we just uh, do the website and we do the podcast because we love it we just really enjoy talking about games. We enjoy writing about games. It's just it's something that we live and breathe, and we just think about them and want to talk about them and want to share, and just we just really dig games. Um, so we are ad-free because we do not need advertisements. We are not beholden to any corporations. We don't, you know, we don't bow down to anybody. We, we pay our own way, and we do what we want to do, so we're a very independent website. Um developers and publishers are free to send us games if they want to if they do that's awesome save us some money if they don't doesn't matter we'll just review the game anyway it's never stopped us in the past not going to stop us in the future um so that's kind of that's kind of our deal we just do this because we love it and we've done it for you know pretty close to 20 years now so we are serious about doing this and we're not a fly-by-night organization uh, but yeah, we don't do it for the money because there is no money to be had and we just really enjoy it. And that's just, that's our deal. So that's all there is. Um, there is no merchandise to buy. I mean, I think that we, we were selling shirts at one point, but it was just for fun. I don't think it was for profit or anything. I think if you poke around, ah, you know, maybe we took that link down. I don't think you can do it anymore. Maybe we don't sell shirts anymore. We sold shirts at one point, um, just for funsies. Um, we've never really had a Patreon. We've never really done, um, a fundraising drive, uh, nothing. We just, we don't really want your money. We don't want you to pay us anything. We don't, we're not in this for, for, you know, to make, to get rich. We just like to talk about games. We're really glad that you like to listen to our show. We're really glad you like to read our reviews. And that's, I mean, that's, that's all it is. Um, I mean, and, and to answer the other parts of your question, um, do we have millions of hits? Well, yeah, we do have millions of hits because we've been around for so many years. I mean, I don't know how many it is in total, but it's probably a pretty big number by now. Uh, but in terms of comparing us to other big sites, you know, like GameSpot or IGN or something, I mean, we're just like a fraction of their size. We're not anywhere near um, what they do. But but then again, we don't have corporate sponsors. You know, we don't have to like bow down to advertisers. Uh, so we're much smaller but we're also more independent and we just do whatever we like to do. So even though we are ranked at Metacritic and all the various aggregate websites, we are pretty much our own thing. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the deal. I think I've answered all the questions. Corey, are you in it for the love? Uh, I am obviously in it for the love because like you said, there is no money to be had. Um, although to be honest, this is like, two i think this is two shows in a row where somebody has mentioned like you know do we do like a, a patreon or do we have some kind of like payment service or something and like i don't think brad and i have talked about this on air very much but we we've only very very um like like a tiny bit have discussed starting like a patreon for the show and it would be for for the so video games show not necessarily for game critics as a whole because um i mean although we are in it for 
for, you know, the love of video games and playing games and wanting to talk about them, keep the discussion open and all this stuff. I mean, there are certain fees, like people who don't podcast or don't run websites, maybe not won't know this, but I mean, there are certain fees that we incur for this. Like, I mean, we have a WordPress website that has an annual fee. Um, we host this, the show's original host is on SoundCloud, the So Video Games Show, and SoundCloud actually has a monthly fee. To most podcasting hosting services, have a, a monthly fee for uh, for hosting things. So, as a matter of fact, I don't want to sound complainy or arrogant or anything, but um, I mean, honestly, Brad and I are paying out of our own pockets to. Uh, to host the show just to keep the show alive. And that's not even counting like video games that we buy or anything like that. And I'm not saying that for like a pity party or anything, but that's just part of it. Maybe something that people don't know. And we've discussed very briefly, maybe doing some kind of Patreon down the road. And I don't think we've come to a conclusion about whether or not we want to do that. Um, but that isn't, that's something that could be in the future maybe, but it would probably just be like a, hey, if you want to give us like a dollar a month, you know, feel free, you know, but not something where we would necessarily like do extra stuff for the show, like send out shirts or publish a show early for Patreon subscribers. It would just be a very small way for us to like get a little money back on what we're spending on the show. Or if, you know, we wanted to buy a game down the line, maybe some of that money would help us buy a game to talk about on the show. But, um, you know, we haven't discussed that enough to decide if that's an avenue we want to go down um, because whenever you put out a free product and then suddenly you start asking for money sometimes that's a weird slippery slope or um, sometimes people will expect the show to suddenly become better because they're paying for it or maybe nobody would want to pay for it at all and that's fine I mean that's why we don't charge money right now because we don't expect people to pay to listen to us talk um but that is something that could be in the future, not like a mandatory, like you have to buy the shows to listen to them, but like a, like a, hey, maybe you want to kick a dollar to us a month or something. But um, if that ever happens or if we ever open a Patreon or if we ever take that avenue, we'll definitely talk about it on the show and give you the full details and talk about all the stuff before we do it. But as of right now, um, that's not a thing that is happening. Yeah, definitely we're not in it for the money. We don't really... Um have any plans like Corey said i mean you know maybe we'll do that if it comes to a point where we need to cover show costs um we're not at that point now maybe we will but we would never put anything behind a paywall and it wouldn't be like like you said it wouldn't be special perks or anything i mean you know we're busy we got we got shit to do uh i I don't want to like run a whole like financial side of the website we just do this for fun because we really enjoy it we love talking to each other we love talking to people who listen we love interacting with people on twitter getting emails and stuff it's just fun just fun. We just really like it. So um, that's basically all there is to it. Not really super complicated and not a lot of dollar value attached to that on any side. So, um, yeah, we'll let you know if that changes. But at the moment, uh, just please feel free to enjoy what we bring to you every week. We're absolutely pleased that people think it's worth listening to. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's about it. Um, so, Jez, I hope you I hope we answered your questions. Thank you very much for uh, for those. And send us uh, any more if you'd like to. Also, that goes the same for anybody else who's listening. Uh, please feel free to send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Uh, you can reach us uh, so video games podcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter as a show at so video games, but you can also reach us individually. And I think we both um, are pretty good about being on the tweeters Corey, what is your what is your handle sir my twitter handle is believe it or not my first and last name it is Corey motley 
C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And a couple last week or the week before, somebody was tweeting at Brad and I, a listener of the show. I can't remember who it was, and I'm sorry about this, but um, came up with the idea that maybe I should start some kind of, I can't remember what it was exactly. Brad, maybe you'll remember that I should start doing um, a photography thing where I follow you around in Trader Joe's bathrooms and photograph fights that you get into or something oh, like that. Yeah, Do you remember yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, Gabriel um, from <laughs> from Twitter. He is Gabriel <laughs> Romo. He is a hilarious dude. That guy is always on. I mean, he needs to have a stand-up career or something because everything he says <laughs> is funny. Yeah, yeah, that was really funny that he suggested instead of doing parkour that we would, like, stage bum fights and you could go around and, like, photograph that, which actually kind of not a bad idea. I'm kind of surprised you dismissed it so quick. That is a terrible idea, Brad. I mean, I don't know. I see maybe some potential in that. I mean, considering that I had my little in uh, my uh, altercation with that dude in the trader's bathroom (laughs) and you constantly almost getting arrested by the police, it's like we're kind of living that life of crime already. We just, you know, get a bottle of booze. Lure some bums into like an enclosed arena. You get your camera. It might work. It might work. I no? will never do that. I never say that. We'll, t- we'll talk <laughs> about it. We'll get back to you guys on that. Maybe in the future. Anyway, uh, if we do bum fights, you'll hear about it here first. Uh, but for the moment, I think that will be the end of another So Video Games. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We will be back next week with another installment. But in the meantime, this is bye from Brad. Uh, whose Twitter handle is Brad Galloway, B R E. I forgot my Twitter handle. All A's, no O's, if you want to reach him on Twitter. And this is bye from Corey. Thank you so much. See, that's how serious we are about this business. I totally forgot to give my contact information. What a fucking amateur I am. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We're out.